Three, two, one. Yeehaw! Yeehaw, Colin. How are you, buddy? I'm good, man. How are you? Good, thanks. What's going on? What's cracking? <sighs> Not a lot. It's an honor for you to ask me back. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, dude. I had a great time with you last time. It's good to see you, Ben. Thank you. Good to see you, too. Uh, congratulations. You were just showing me around the space. Thank you. Very cool. Thank you. I'm very excited I'm for very you. Ex- I'm excited, too. I bet. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Jamie's moving shit around. What happened? I gotta st- All right. Oh. I was out of line. Um, so, uh, welcome. And uh, how's Colin's Last Stand going? It's good. It's fun. It's, uh, you know, it's, I always describe it. It's not big. It's just got its little, you know, slice of the internet. And uh, it's attracted, you know, videos do 20, 30, 40, 50,000 views. And, and uh, I have that's, a... Sub- that's a good spot. That's a good place to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it. And, uh, you know, I have like 4,500 people on Patreon supporting me. And I don't serve ads on anything I do. So, I'm just trying to make it organic and see how far I can take it and, and then go from there. Sam Harris does his entire podcast that way. He doesn't have any ads, which uh, I think is amazing. Yeah, it's cool. Like I have no, I, you know, I, I worked at IGN for a long time, the video game site and, and my old company. So we had ads and I have no problem with them, but I was trying to just kind of, you know, say like, I don't need more than what you're giving me. This is plenty right. and I'm doing fine. And, and uh, so, you know, maybe I'll do ads on future products, but not with this. Yeah. That, well, yeah. I mean, why not? Right. I mean, just if you're enjoying it, I mean, you, yeah, do you could do different products. You could do, I mean, different projects. Rather, you could do it different ways. Yep. Yeah, it's a, it's it's interesting now to try to figure out like what's the best way for people to put their stuff out there. Like I know a lot of people, like in the podcast world, some people use SoundCloud, some people use other things, some people just go straight to YouTube. I mean, it's uh, there's a lot of experimentation going on now. Yeah, and and I I'm always fascinated by that particular thing about how I do a podcast now just on the side um, called Fireside Chats where I just have random people in to talk about random things, um, and uh, similar but not nearly as good as your show, and. Uh, I I'm always amazed that people are like, why don't you put this on YouTube? And I'm like, you just want to stare at a static image on YouTube. There's like, not I don't even have it on video. People just right. it's just about how people consume the content. So maybe like a spread shot approach is probably the smartest idea. Well, if you could hire someone to do images that represent the conversation, maybe that would be a, a reason to have it on YouTube. But I hear yeah. you. Yeah, it's people just get excited about a platform. They get locked into a platform and then they just digest everything in that platform, whether it's snapchat or instagram or youtube they just it's and it's weird what jamie and i've been talking about this a lot lately about like what what makes it through like how did youtube become the only one where people upload videos that seems insane it seems like that seems so straightforward you have it so people can upload videos you put ads on those videos and that's it I mean, it seems like there would be hundreds of those sites. Yeah, I, I think they were just first, and it was kind of like a, uh, they, it was like ubiquitous quickly. So mm-hmm. I find that with a lot of like social media too. Like you think about, um, like Snapchat's really like faltering now because Instagram's basically stolen its entire platform, and it's all about like kind of this these little monopolies yeah. that exist: monopolies for pictures, monopolies for video, monopoly for you know um, interacting with friends and family on Facebook and stuff like that. There's no think about it. There's no Facebook competitor. You know? No, no. I mean, it, Facebook seems to me to be a more indulgent medium though it seems like like i read some i like sometimes i'll see people's facebook posts and i just see the first paragraph and then i see how long it goes i'm like fuck reading that <laughs> just keep moving right. this is too much it's a, yeah it's like i find uh my, my girlfriend just deactivated her facebook account and i was like i don't find so much utility in it anymore you know yeah. I fi- especially after the election i'm like everyone hates each other on here and <laughs> it's not fun i already have twitter for that yeah. you know but like you're saying on twitter you can't 
go on and on and on and on about how much you hate Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. So it was uh, there was like no way to, to retreat. I, I find that I don't even use Facebook that much anymore. I, I use it because my Instagram posts directly to Twitter and to Facebook. That's how I use it. And but it's interesting that it shows that and the amount of people that engage like my Facebook as a fraction of what everything else has. And I think it's because I don't use it. Yeah, I think I think algorithmically, the more you use it, probably the more it massages you to the top of of a person's feed or whatever, because that's what's annoying about Facebook mm. is you can't put anything in order. You right. have no idea what you've seen already. I was just talking to someone the other day. I only have like 700 friends on there or whatever. A lot of people from college that I might have had a class with or something. And I'm like, why do the same 15 people just show up? on? The- I don't even interact with these people. So I-, I feel like I'm missing a ton of stuff. And I still find Twitter is the most useful for me. People love Facebook, though, for arguing. They fucking love it, man. I- I've gone over some political arguments that people have on Facebook. And it's like, Jesus, how do you have the time for this? Do you people have other things that you enjoy? Yeah. No. <laughs> There's something about that sort of tit-for-tat verbal exchange, like trying to one-up someone and trying to make a better point. And it's, I feel like it's replaced sport for people, you know, for some folks. I feel like it's a game in, sort of a way, in, in some sort of a way, like a text-based video game or yes. something. Yeah, like an old text adventure or something yeah. like that. Yeah. I, I, what I find, in the, one interesting, interesting thing about Facebook that I think is, is worth noting is that it's typically real people with real names and real pictures, so at least they're putting themselves out there yeah. as opposed to Twitter and the, kind of the anonymous nature of that. So I respect that for the most part on Facebook. But again, I agree with you. It's like no one's winning this argument. It's just a repetitive. How many times am I going to see the same thing over and over again? I've kind of just withdrawn from that entirely. Yeah. Well, you know, I wanted to talk to you about Internet controversy because when we had you on the first time, it was kind of just after your whole thing had happened with um, this. You'd made this one like incredibly innocuous tweet. It was uh, like uh, a day without women or something like that, like silence. Like what was the the tweet? It was uh, ah, peace and quiet, hashtag a day without a woman. Yeah. I mean. Which is like an Al Bundy joke maybe. Yeah. And but the thing is, like, if that happened today, nobody would give a shit. It's weird. It's like then like it was it was a, a boiling controversy, like the first bubbles of just social media outrage, it yes. seems like. Or you were one of the first bubbles. Right. Well, like I explained to you originally, I feel like it was partially a political hit because of my the industry I worked in and all that kind of stuff. But also, like I was telling you before we started, the more I've had time to think, after all these things, things happened, I launched a new company. I was working 70 hours a week. I had no bandwidth to really right. like think about what the hell happened. The more I think about it, the angrier I actually get about, about right. like how I... I had to go through that and watch other people also kind of go through similar things as the outrage machine just eats people and spits them out as they go along. Well, you when know? you stop and think about what you actually said and that that what that actually caused, like that actually caused you to stop working with people. Yeah. Like this one silly joke. Like they don't know you. They don't know you. No, that one joke, that one thing that you said is so awful and outrageous that all of our years of collaborating, working together, trying to do projects, trying to be creative, having fun, all the conversations we've had about life and about humans and politics and men and women, those are all out the window, man. You made a joke that I find marginally offensive maybe on a certain day marginally offensive i don't even think it's a if it was a woman if a woman said that like a day uh, like peace and quiet a day without men i would i would go ha yeah that's what i would go i'd go ha yeah and i'd keep moving and move on with your life with the idea like oh i gotta get this lady fired she's a terrible person the only thing that i can think about is that i was at least in a position where it didn't 
destroy me right. or whatever. Like I was, ac- I actually am doing, you know, financially better and and feel happier in what I'm doing now. So it didn't. It kind of backfired on the people that were trying to do whatever they were doing to me anyway. But I feel for the people that find themselves in similar situations that don't have, and I don't, you know, like some some sort of internet clout or some sort of community that can can rally around them and, and lift them up, which is yeah. what my community did to me, which I'm so appreciative of. So I just think about how. It's just sad. Like I, I, I don't know that I've ever been so offended by something someone has tweeted or even said that I, I like went out of my way to, to make it personal and try to destroy them. I'm not saying people don't do terrible shit. It happens all the time. Right. And we're seeing that play out. You know, with Harvey Weinstein and all these kinds of things. Absolutely awful, really awful things. Right. And I feel like people are kind of like being distracted by the shiny object in the corner when they're losing sight of what what's important. Well, today it feels like there's blood in the water. You know, I mean, it just it seems like there's so many people going after so many people it's just people are running around looking for targets i the way i imagine i imagine like the internet and people on the internet being like an angry mob running through the streets frothing at the mouth just looking for somewhere to point their gun i mean that's really what it feels like it feels like there's definitely some real targets out there there's definitely some this kevin spacey thing is a is a scary thing i mean apparently Rosie O'Donnell started tweeting that he had been doing this forever and that this is just the tip of the iceberg and that there's a bunch of boys that he went after. I don't know what's true, what's not true, right. and I'm, assu- I'm assuming, but that's, that's real. That's a real horrible thing. That's not a joke. It's not someone with an innocuous, maybe off-color joke. I mean, this is like real stuff. Right. So I think the, the good part is uh, all this awful behavior predatory evil you know all the harvey weinstein and whatever else there's probably a million other ones right that stuff's going to get exposed but it seems like the the negative part about it is that people are looking for targets they're just you know yeah and that, well that's what kind of scares me i was telling i don't know if you're a black mirror fan but i was yeah, I, well, uh, i've only watched one episode but i loved it okay yeah it, well, i highly recommend you, you you'll get two, lost in I'll it watch two episodes it, i love that show and it's it's uh it, it, what's going on now reminds me a little bit of like a Black Mirror episode where like it's like people are like you said are targeting others but I feel and I feel like accusations are part of the process are part of of due process really that starts with the accusation but I feel like people aren't you know and I'm I'm not defending anything that anyone's done but I feel like everyone just assumes guilt no matter what and it scares me because now we're getting to the point where anyone can accuse someone of anything at all and they're automatically guilty and they're automatically shamed and I'm like but Aren't you curious what's true? Maybe half or 75% of this is true, but certainly not all of this is true. Right. Certainly not all of these accusations are true. The one thing that I was interested in is um, Mark Halperin, who the, the political writer who was accused of things last week. He, I, didn't, I didn't hear this one. Um, There's too many to keep up with. Yeah, no, it's, it's happening a lot. Mark Halperin is a, is a famous political writer. He wrote um, Game Change and Double Down, those famous books about 2008 and 2012 um, with John Heilman, who's his partner. He was on MSNBC and all this stuff. And he was accused of um, some sexual harassment when he was at ABC News in the early 2000s. And he came out and was basically like, I'm sorry for my behavior and all that kind of stuff. And what I thought was interesting about it was that he was like, not all of these accusations are true. But he kind of just then went on and, and apologized and did all this. And I'm like, but I'm interested in, in like, what, are you going to contest any of this? Like, what is true and what isn't true? Why aren't we interested right. in what is true and what isn't true? Clearly, you are a scumbag in some way. But I am also curious in... Are you going to defend yourself? Or are we in a situation where no one can defend themselves from these from these terrible accusations? Well, and it reminds the, me of Black Mirror a lot. Well, what sense. were the accusations? He was basically accused of um, 
heavily hitting on women like that were junior than him some that women were working were, with him? yeah exactly somewhere somewhere like i don't think any of them accuse him of like sexual assault or anything like that but apparently he might have rubbed up against some women or did some some well, things that, that kind of is sexual assault yeah though, I, right yeah i presume i, I assume so but i guess what i'm saying is like on somebody that's essentially sexual assault sure i mean more like i don't think they're accusing him of raping them or something like something like something right. absolutely horrifying horrific you know um and i'm like well clearly you know i liked him a lot and i'm like well i can't i don't I, I, you know, you're clearly not a, a good person. Um, but I was also just interested in that in that that dynamic of his statement where I was like, but but what isn't true? I'm curious what isn't true. Why? You know, it, yeah. it, it almost suggests that everything is true. But then you just never know any situation. So I just kind of reserve judgment until more information is known about all these people. And I'm not I don't want to jump in on it because I don't you know, I don't even want to know. I mean, unless it's people that are in my world. I mean, at a certain point in time. Look, I mean, I want to know about Kevin Spacey type situations mm. or Harvey Weinstein type situations. But I think there's a lot of men that are in that position where they're a boss or they are, you know, um, the, the owner of a company and they have these people under them. And these people behave in a certain way, like almost like as if they are royalty, you know, and I think that's what Harvey Weinstein experienced. I mean, essentially, he was like the royalty of this, this enormous movie empire. Right. And we find that particularly offensive. That it's not just he's not just a creep trying to get laid. He's a guy that was trying to hold that power over people and use it against them. And then on top of that, he was like physically forceful. So you got like your worst case scenarios. And then you have like guys that are just trying to get laid. And you're like, okay, hmm. how do you, what, 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 what are we, are we demonizing aggressive heterosexuality? Like, where does this go? Like, where does this go into sexual assault? Like, Rubbing up against someone, physically touching them when they don't want you to. Well, that's sexual assault. Sure. But hitting on someone. Well, right. hmm. That doesn't seem like sexual assault or anything. It seems like someone just trying to get laid. Like, where does it? But then when someone's the boss, you go, okay. But then you're not supposed to do that when you're a boss. Right. I, I was more, I was very interested in the, in the, in the dynamic between, with, specifically with uh, Harvey Weinstein um, and his people under him for many decades. Yeah. About, I, I, I was trying to put myself in this position of like, how does this stay quiet for so long? Even though there's little rumblings, like they talk about Seth MacFarlane's joke. At some award shows, about Kevin Spacey too. Yeah, you know, they, they and did Family that Guy. Family Guy, right. like a little kid was running away from. So I was locked in Kevin Spacey's basement. It's it's amazing yeah. that like this stuff is kind of like an open secret, yeah. and so, but still doesn't seep out or really. And I'm it, it, it makes you think about the po the power dynamics and how fearful people are in these positions because mm -hmm. it's easy. My initial instinct was like, why didn't anyone say anything? It was similar to, to, to Bill Cosby's thing. I'm like, why didn't anyone say anything? But then you realize people were saying things. They were they were being given hush money. They were being shut up but these are really really bad people but i agree with you that it you know i've never been a um an aggressive uh, flirt flirter as it were i've always been very passive with women because i i never really believed in myself that much and all that but i've i've known people that have been very flirtatious and and you know um and all of that and i'm like i wonder what is the line there now and and is it okay to 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 be flirtatious to call a woman beautiful at a bar or to do something like that as yeah. opposed to you know kind of what, what, if a girl likes you that's the thing. Like, if, if you meet a girl at a bar and the girl's like, Colin is a really cool guy. God, I'm so into him. And Colin's like, you're really beautiful. And she's like, oh, my God, thank you. And then next thing you know, you guys are hanging out. Or you meet a girl at a bar. She has nothing. She doesn't want to have anything to do with you. She's sober. You're drinking. Your breath smells. 
And you're like, you're really beautiful. And you're like, ew, gross. Get the fuck away from me. You know, it could be exactly the same <laughs> right. attempt, but the person's just not into you, and right. you become a creep. Right, exactly. So I, yeah. I, I'm, uh, I, I don't... Uh, I don't look at the situation now in 2017 with, you know, on college campuses and all these things as, as desirable for anyone, because yeah. who, who the hell knows the rules of the landscape, you know, now? I think a lot of it just comes to down to mutual respect and all of that, you know? Well, you know what I think it is, man? I really think we're shifting, um, uh, like, culturally. I think this is a big, gigantic shift, almost like an earthquake of consciousness. I think that over the course of human history, we have slowly but surely become better to each other. Like we were playing, um, we had a photograph that we put up yesterday of an ad from 1911. It was a, a gum ad, and it was uh, a, instructing a man how to go about kissing a woman. And a lot of it was like, do not ask permission, look in her eyes, uh, gaze dreamily. It was like really like weird, like wow. t t instructing him how to grab her face, how to like lean down to kiss her. It was like. Very, very bizarre. I was like, if you tried to put that ad out today, you would be fucking skewered publicly. Yeah, yeah, like I would, would say so. They would come after you. But there's the ad right there. Do you know how to kiss a girl? Then learn. Stand facing her. Do not tell her your intentions. Do not ask permission <laughs> not to kiss her. tell her your intentions. Yeah. We went, up, went over this whole thing yesterday, so I won't go over it again. That's it's, funny. It's, um, the, what's the name of the gum again? Common Sense what is it? Yeah, Common Sense Gum Company. The Common Sense Gum Company yeah. from 1911. And I think what's happening right now is this, uh, like, a really big shift. And I think the beneficiaries of this big shift are going to be the next generation of kids that are growing up. They're probably not going to have to deal with nearly as much shit. I think, and I'm absolutely not giving Bill Cosby any sort of fucking excuse at all, but I think that in Bill Cosby's day, I think a lot of men did that. I think it was really common. I mean, I don't think they thought anything of it. Just like, you ever watch like an old Clint Eastwood movie when they slap women? They just used to beat the shit out of women in those movies. You <laughs> Times know? have changed. It, and they're changing now, like today, mm. at, a, at an unprecedented rate. I think ultimately it's good. Um, ultimately, everyone, when you, you catch people at like a, a, a good static state, like a good calm state, and you, if you, you, they're not under duress and they're thinking clearly and you'd ask them like, what, what's the best way to get along with other people? What's the best? Well, treat them fairly, treat them kindly, you know, have good friends, just be nice, be nice to everybody. Everybody would agree to that. But the problem is maybe they want something from you. Like Colin wants to fuck the girl at the bar, but she's sober and Colin's got gross breath and he's you know like you know what i mean like, right there's, exactly. there's all sorts of extenuating circumstances that make people behave in really fucked up ways right but the consequences of those circumstances or the, that behavior was was minimized by power right it was minimized by you know like a guy like harvey weinstein they could put these gals in movies you know or a guy like kevin spacey who's hitting on a 14 year old and he doesn't know what to say you know all that stuff that 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 ability to squash it, it was it minimized people, you know. It, it reminds me too. Not that I know deeply uh, anything deep about it, but I, I was just thinking about it in the shower this morning. Actually, it reminds me a lot of um, uh, Michael Jackson in the sense of like what, what was going on in the early and mid '90s with him and the accusations there. And mm -hmm. I'm like, was this? I don't know if it's true or false. I don't know what he's accused of or not. People kind of, I think, treat him as if he was innocent. Maybe he is. I don't know. But it reminds me of like there was like telltale signs of some of some cor sexual corruption in, yeah. in Hollywood and the music industry and the movie industry and all that some years ago. 
um, that's kind of bubbled back to the surface with some big names. So I just I agree with you. Like I just wish. Um, People just need to be good to, e- to each other and like act normal and these guys and, and, and be respectful. And these things you don't find yourself in these terrible situations. But then you see this desperation with Harvey Weinstein, where you, you learn that he might have sexually assaulted or even raped a woman who then appears in a movie some years later because yeah. he, he the gravity well around him is so strong yeah. that they have no choice. So it's a very sad situation for those women as well. You know, it's a sad situation for humanity, right? It's like. There's just certain things that people were able to to get away with, you know? Like, the Cosby thing to me is probably number one. That's the number one worst one ever. Because he represented this sort of, like, really moral, very ethical, you know, like, doesn't, doesn't swear on stage. Like, he's the last one that you would expect to be what, you know, he's described, been described as the number one serial rapist of all time. And you're like, wait, how is that? How is that possible? It's, incre- it's incredible. It's 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 just a crazy, un- an unfortunate, and sad situation. It ruins his whole legacy. You yeah. know, um, you know, like who who could ever? I, I haven't seen the Cosby Show. I don't even know if it's syndicated anymore since all the accusations came out. But who could watch that now and be like, and 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 just look past that? Like I, I certainly could, especially because a lot of that's contemporaneous to that show. Is know? it still on the air? Well, I don't. I, I assume that they got you know their stuff pulled, their syndication assume, pulled. Right? Yeah. What about Fat Albert? That would be weird. Yeah. Too, if that was still <laughs> <on> there. <laughs> it, yeah. Again, again, contemporaneous <laughs> to a lot of his accusations, going back to to um, uh, what was that original show that he did in the sixties? I Spy. I Spy. Right. Yeah. That was the first one, right? Yeah. So it's it's like I think a lot of a lot of that's like fifty years worth of accusations. Like holy yeah. shit. Yeah. Hollywood was a different animal back then. It's a different animal when people didn't have a voice. You know. But do you because you have some you have a connect you 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 were on TV and you do you know do you do you hear rumblings like this I mean I'm not asking you to be specific but do you hear well this? I, I haven't been on TV in a long time but I did hear the Cosby thing way back in the 90s I heard that when I was on the set of news radio I remember people talking about it but and I had heard the Kevin Spacey thing too but you know you don't you don't know you know it's not like well you should have gone to the press like with what information right. you know you know like someone accused Rosie O'Donnell. Because Rosie O'Donnell was uh, talking about Kevin Spacey. She's like, you're a sicko. You know, everyone knew you were a sicko. And so someone said, hold on a second. So you're saying that you knew that he was like this and you didn't do anything about it. And she, and she said, well, there was always rumors, but no one had any evidence. Right. You know, until this actor came forth. Is he an actor or a director? I think he's a Broadway actor. It's a Broadway actor. Yeah, yeah it's, it's fu- the whole thing's fucked. He was in television show though. He was a Broadway actor with Kevin Spacey in nineteen whatever the hell it was when, when this happened thirty years ago. What do you think about the whole misdirection thing in his statement too about being like crazy, oh, it, weird, right? Sneaky. Yeah. Not good. Yeah, I think very, very uh, transparent. Very transparent. Yeah. Deflecting. Right. Now I live my life as a gay man. Hey, fuckface. Nobody asked you. Right. Did, did you try to rape a kid? Yeah. That's. A, that's yeah. A, it was very weird. I don't know why he decided to do that. Well, but. I think he's probably panicking. You know, I mean, and ultimately, he probably should be. Yeah, I, I, I would assume so, especially because maybe there are more accusations. And then the whole weird thing with Netflix with House of Cards, where they were like, this is going to be the last season. Now, apparently, they stopped production. Oh, they, so they stopped it completely? That's what Jamie was saying. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like third this morning, I'll shuffle it up. Okay. Yeah, because I, I thought that was interesting specifically because they had apparently had already announced that it was the last season anyway, mm. like in the summer. So they're making it seem like they're reacting to it. So everyone's just playing the PR game now, you know? I wonder. Yeah, I don't know. Because they made an announcement pretty quickly. Maybe they made an announcement sort of just to let everybody know, you know, yeah, it is the last season, but 
Okay, here it goes. Production on Netflix special series suspended indefinitely following Kevin Spacey allegations. Is it allegation or S? Is this plural? Yeah, is there, is there a second or third allegation? I, I might yeah. have missed it. I'm sure they're more also, He has a Gore Vidal movie that they're filming as well. Which will be interesting. It's an interesting guy, Gore yeah. Vidal. Yeah, oh man. Did You know what's a great fucking film? Um, Gore Vidal and um, who's the super conservative guy? William F. Buckley. They had a series of debates in 1960, I want to say 68, and they televised them. And it... It was like a, a huge boom to whatever network it was, ABC, I believe it was. And um, they made a documentary about these two going back and forth with each other. It's, it's brilliant. It's amazing. And it's so interesting to see their minds um, interacting with each other. Wasn't that the debate series where William F. Buckley said something super homophobic? Mm -hmm. Yeah, to yeah, call yeah. To call them something. Like, I think he called them a faggot. Like, yeah, on like network television. Yeah, and he said he would, he would knock him out. He'd said something like, you'll stay plastered or something like that. I forget his, 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 his statement, but Gore Vidal said something to William F. Buckley that like really pushed his button. I don't, I don't remember what he said to him. Because I remember uh, watching it and being like, oh my God. Was like, de but it was devastating to William F. Buckley. It was like pretty much the end of his being taken seriously because people realize, well, he's kind of a fool and his ego and his mind is just not within his control and it just got out of hand. And, and Gore Vidal just sort of sat there while he said it, you know? Right. Yeah. Gore Vidal is an interesting, my, my exposure to him initially was like, he wrote, I think some, um, historical fiction about some, some various things. Yeah. Now listen, you queer, stop calling me a crypto Nazi or I'll sock you in your goddamn face and you'll stay plastered. Whoa. Yeah. It's like incredible to, Listen, you queer. Stop calling me a crypto Nazi. Whoa. I'm concerned. The only pro or crypto Nazi I can think of is yourself. <laughs> yeah. Some people were calling each other Nazis even way back after, you know, right after World War II. Yeah, it's a weird one, right? It's like the problem is like when we what we saw in Charlottesville is like, hey, look, guys, there's real Nazis. Like, don't call someone a Nazi because they voted for Trump. Right. Because they think that, uh, you know, right-wing conservative values are being diminished in this country. Don't it, call them a Nazi for that. It just bothers me. The same thing with the word fascist, where I'm like, you yeah. don't even really understand what these words mean, a lot of you. Like, I, I don't... These words aren't only loaded, they have definitions. Yes. And I don't know what the... It's like when everyone says we live in a fascist state in America today, and I'm like... I don't think so. The courts seem to be working fine. The Congress doesn't do anything, but it's there. Well, if uh, you lived in a fascist state, then there wouldn't be an investigation against Trump right now. Exactly. It's leading to indictments. Exactly. In which he actually has the power to fire the person doing the investigation. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm not saying we're in an ideal situation right now, but people throwing around these words very loosely need to learn a little bit more about Weimar Republic and the Nazis coming to power in 33 and what that actually looks like, what fascism actually looks like in Italy, what it looks like in Germany. And they have no idea. Or a lot of some people do, but most don't. And they're and they're just throwing these words around and they, they mean something. Well, there's a lot of confusion today in terms of like why free speech is important. And one of the reasons why free speech is important is because you don't get to decide what is correct. It has to be debated. You know, um, th there was a I forget who it's who who said that. It was really recent. We talked about it yesterday. Um, oh, it was that guy, the, the Yale professor that was on Sam Harris's show. He had a perfect statement about um, the guy who got in trouble for his wife with the 
the Greek fellow. His wife uh, had defended offensive Halloween costumes, and the kids went crazy and oh, undressed right, 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 him right. in public. He said the answer to uh, to hate speech is not no speech; it's better speech, and that's such a great statement. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. You, you yeah. can't, so, like all these kids that are trying to shut down conservative speakers on campus, and then by shutting them down, they're calling them white supremacists, Nazis, and using these things for guys like Ben Shapiro. Which I think is like patently ridiculous. Yeah, the the, the Jewish man yeah. is the, the Nazi. The Jewish man is Nazi, That's and, and a white supremacist as well, which is just like because he quotes statistics about minority crime. You know, those statistics I feel like are pretty misleading in some ways because there's a lot of factors that lead to these people being in these situations where there's high crime rates in these communities, and it has nothing to do with, you know, hey, you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, like which is like. A really common way of looking at it, right? Well, has to do with the the world that they were born into. Yeah, socioeconomically, know? it's a different yeah, a different world. Yeah, and they're surrounded by the momentum of crime. They're surrounded by the momentum of violence and abuse, and to just expect them to escape that because um, there are examples of people that have done it in the past. Well, you can't apply that that sort of logic. I don't think. I think that's disingenuous, but. To call him a Nazi or a white supremacist, I think is fucking ridiculous. Well, that's just such. It's just such a. It's just used pejoratively without it's historical lazy. context. It, I, 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 it's, it's exactly what it is because I. It reminds me a little bit. It's different in the context, but it reminds me a little bit of when Bernie Sanders was running in the primary, and people would be like, "This is look at what socialism has given you." Right. And look at the roads, and and I'm like, the roads are not. The roads aren't socialist. The yeah. military is not socialist. Streetlights aren't socialist. No, the government spending money is not what socialism means. Yeah. So if that's what you think the definition means, then you're wrong. And the same thing with with now Nazism and fascism. Like, look at all the parallels between Nazi Germany and the United States. And I'm like, I couldn't. I'm a student of history. I'm not. I don't know everything, but I don't see literally one parallel between the United States right now and Nazi Germany. Not even one. So yeah, we're not coming off a war we lost. We're not, you know, a devastated and humiliated nation. Yeah, the stab in the to, back, hyperinflation. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, like this charismatic man who's in prison for a while writes this manifesto, tries to actually throw a coup in the mid twenties, fails. All like all of these, yeah. like, oh, I'm like, what are the what parallel are you talking about? Yeah. That, you know, and it's so I just feel like people are playing fast and loose with these words that they mean something. They these words mean something. So if you're going to call someone a fascist, find the fascist. And like you said, there are Nazis in, in American culture. Unfortunately, but fortunately, because of our freedom of expression, they have the right to exist. And I think that by lumping in anyone that voted for Trump, for instance, as a Nazi, you're just making them look bigger. That actually yeah. just benefits them. They're, they're irrelevant. The KKK is irrelevant. 6,000 members, maybe, in a, in a country of 325 million people. Who, how many people identify as neo-Nazi, really? Maybe 10,000 or less? You know, but when well, you're you, thinking about 350 million people, it's a very small number. It's 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 infinitesimal. It's my it's actually irrelevant, completely but, irrelevant. But if you're a black guy and they're all coming after you on your Facebook page, then it looks then, real. then it looks real. And and, yeah. and, 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 and and it is that kind of badgering and that kind of harassment is real. And it's terrible. It no no yeah. one justifies that. But I, I'm so sick of the a history like the the like people suddenly are are experts. It, it reminds me of on Columbus Day. I tweeted out and it got tweeted a bunch. I, I thought it was funny where, you know, people are tweeting about Columbus and all this. I'm like, sudden, suddenly everyone's an expert now in the age of exploration today. Now everyone knows everything about the age of exploration. Just yeah. like everyone knew everything about the rise of Nazism and the Weimar Republic. And just like everyone knew about the, you know, socialism and all. I'm like, stop. You know? Well, I posted this flag behind me. Uh, 
in um, a, a, a company named, uh, called uh, Iron Mountain Designs uh, creates it, and it's a veteran-owned company, and they make these pretty cool flags, made, very cool flags, made out of metal, but it has a George Washington quote on the back, and I put it up on Instagram with the photo of the flag, photo of the logo of the company, like three different pictures on Instagram in a row. You know how you do that, where one post can have three images. And one of them was a quote from George Washington. And the, f the number of fucking geniuses, George Washington owned slaves. Like, yeah, he's an honest man who owns slaves. And they just kept rattling on about the, the horrors of George Washington as if, okay, yep, he did. Yeah, there's a lot, of, but this is a quote by a man who lived hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and this is what he said. You know, you want to diminish his entire, you know, contribution to human culture because he did something horrible back then when people were doing horrible things. You're... You're right, he did own slaves, but I think it's a part of a very long conversation about what a human being was, you know, back then. Yeah, it's, it's, it goes back to the idea of historical relativism, that, like, you can't, you can judge them based on a 21st yes. century model, but George Washington died in 1799, so this is a man that didn't even see the 19th century, nonetheless the 20th, nonetheless the right. 21st, has no idea what, that was, he was a southern planter, four of the first five presidents of the United States were southern planters that owned slaves. It's not, this wasn't an, a totally uncommon thing. So I'm not justifying it. There were absolutely abolitionists among the founders. There were absolutely abolitionists during the revolution and, and black people fought for the, yeah. for the Continental Army. But yeah, people judging based on these things, I'm like, that's fine. But if you want to take that to, the, to its natural conclusion, you're going to find lots of problems with lots of people even closer to us in history than, than George Washington. And what's funny about that is now they really are going after, I was reading it just tangentially, I didn't see it all, but people are starting to now go after George Washington plaques or George Washington statues. Mm -hmm. And I feel kind of bad about that in the sense that I was all for removing the Confederate statues and putting them in places where they made sense. So take the, the Jefferson Davis statue, put it in you know Gettysburg or whatever the case might be, put it in a museum. I don't think they should be melted down and destroyed. But people were like, the next logical step is they're going to go after the founders. And I was like, no way. Well, any, well like, no one's going to let that happen. And I was wrong. You know, now they, they are going after them. They went after them immediately. So, yeah. so I feel a little bit guilty about that in the sense that, you know, I don't think we should be celebrating Confederate history, but we should absolutely be celebrating American history, even even yes. the complicated American well, history. Well, even if it's not celebrating it, it's recognizing it and understanding it. I mean, the, the Confederate War, the Civil War, rather, did happen. It, it's it's a real historical fact, and it should be studied. And if you, if you don't study it, you don't get a comprehensive understanding of all the pieces that were in place when it did happen. And, you know, it's just as bad as the people that are saying, you know, the Civil War was about economics. No, no, it wasn't. That was part of what it was about. It wasn't just about economics. It was also about keeping slaves. Right. That's a fact. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, to diminish that, it's like, that's not good either. But to, to try to sweep it under the rug and smash all the statues, like, no, have that statue up so people can understand what the fuck that is. And if someone is going to celebrate that statue, you know, the South's going to do it again. We're going to rise again. They can do that. You know, if that's if that's their thing, they can do that. I mean, we can't stop them from thinking stupid. Yeah. And I think that I agree with you in the sense that it's it's worth it. Just it, it happened or we remember it. Yeah. And it, it has always the Graham, the Graham blue have always been part of our culture since since the Civil War ended in, in 1865. And especially since Reconstruction ended in 1877. Many We've people had, don't even know what you're saying. The gray and blue. Yeah. What? Uh, the, you know, yeah, yeah. You, the uniforms of the, of the different right. sides. Um, you know, when Reconstruction ended in 1877 and our occupation of the South ended and then Jim Crow came, became law and there was, you know, institutional segregation, this was something that was always a complicated point of celebration. You know, 
I've always been, you know, the I've always been really kind of curious and and really more militant um, about why these people actually got away with what they did. And I understand, um, you know, the ten percent plan. Which do you know anything about that? The the idea that Lincoln only made, or actually, really Andrew Johnson only made ten percent of people in the Southern states basically pledge allegiance in order for the states to come back in. They didn't execute anyone that you know, or even really try them. You know, Jefferson Davis. Uh, Stonewall Jackson didn't survive, but Robert E. Lee and all these other guys just got away with it and actually lived pretty prosperous lives afterwards. So there's always been this really complicated mix of of remembrance that these people down there were heroes. And we don't have to support that. I certainly don't support that. But it goes way further back than our contemporary culture. And we can't just smash it into oblivion and think that you're going to remove that, the the heritage of the stars and bars and all that from, yeah, from what I, happened. I think that the problem is people think that you're celebrating the Confederate Army when you have a statue up. And in some ways, you kind of—it seems like you are, right? Because the statue is 15 feet tall, right. and he's got a sword in his hand, and he's on a horse, and he's marching forward. And you know, people look at it as if that's celebrating something that's a horrible part of human culture. It, it, it is. I mean, I remember uh, going to Richmond, Virginia, for the first time. My my family, a lot of my family lives down there now, and they have this thing called Monument Row or whatever, where it's just—it's uh, like Jefferson Davis and and Robert E. Lee and all. And then they actually put Arthur Ashe at the end to make it seem like it's not racist anymore. Um, <laughs> Which I always thought was weird. They did that in like but the 70s or 80s. Yeah, exactly. So there's just like a black guy at the end of it. It's like, this isn't racist at all. Um, and it's a bonus that he died of AIDS. Yeah. <laughs> so so everyone, so everyone, yeah, so we have a lot of, you know, pro HIV cult, yeah, HIV culture and all that. But, um, you know, I, I remember being really confused when I was a kid being like, why are these statues here? This doesn't make any sense. And I agree that they shouldn't be in those places um, of reverence. Because they're, they're, beyond the slavery issue, um, and I agree with you, slavery was the reason the Confederacy was founded. It does go back to states' rights, and it has inherent yeah. economic benefits. But it, it is, you know, Stephen Douglas, who was the vice president of the Confederacy, literally said that they were founded because of this. So you can take his word for it. Um, but I was always confused why we were celebrating um, these people and why not why not have these pieces of art because they are pieces of art, but have them in places that make sense that give context. Um, so I have no problem with that. But I, I, I was so tragically wrong about the slippery slope that we were finding ourselves on because I thought people would see more that like, yes, Thomas Jefferson was a complicated man, but also an immensely important person mm -hmm. to our, our, you know, our society. But people aren't seeing it that way. And I will I will fight uh, more vociferously to protect those guys than I did the Confederate, you know, the Confederate officers. Yeah, for sure. Even though those guys did own slaves, too. Right. I mean, it is, it, it is all weird when you're talking about slave ownership. You know, I, I did this thing this morning. My kids' school, they have this great pumpkin day, and all the little kids are on stage, and they're, they have this little play that they act out. And one of the things they were talking about, the smell of applewood bacon, and mmm, and everybody's like, oh, the smell of applewood bacon. And all I could think of, because yesterday we were talking about factory farming and about a, this Glenn Greenwald article where um, this FBI investigation to these two people that stole um, these pigs from this factory farm revealed this federal cover-up of these horrific conditions in factory farms. And I was thinking of, like, one day we're going to look at, like, factory farming and the horrific nature of what they do to these animals, especially pigs, they these really intelligent animals, and they stuff them into these boxes and make them live in their own shit, and there's little corpses of piglets around them. It was really hard. The article and the photos were really hard to look at. And I was thinking while I was... Watching this little, little kids play today, I was like, one day we're going to look back at like this mention of bacon and we're going to think like how fucked up were people that they thought it was okay to shove these little animals into these crates and 
make them live in their own shit just so you could get bacon off of them. Right. But we've just sort of accepted that. It's a part of our culture. And it's not a valid comparison to slavery, but it's also, it's not an ideal way for a conscious and evolving species like the human race to behave. It's not a, a good way for us to rationalize. And I was looking at that today and I was thinking, how many more of these things, I mean, I think we're seeing that with things like the Harvey Weinstein uh, allegations and, and, and this outrage is coming forth. I think we're seeing it with a, a lot of the aspects of our society that's getting exposed in a way that it never got exposed before. But I think we're also seeing it, I mean, in my mind, we're seeing it with this, this talk of bacon. I was like, you know, look, bacon is delicious. Absolutely. But where the fuck's that bacon coming from? You know, are you making sure you're getting free range bacon from, you know, very uh, moral and ethical farming practices? Or are you just getting bacon? Yeah, it, it's actually very thought provoking what you're saying, because I've always found the factory farming, um, not that I'm an expert in it at all, I'm not, but the argument to be really interesting, because it's like, there's an opportunity cost, the way we treat these animals means food is very cheap, yeah. way cheap meat is incredibly cheap in the United States compared to almost anywhere else in the world. Um, and produces too because of that people used to spend a third of their income before world war ii on food and now they spend less than a tenth of their money on food so there's it's amazing so there's an interesting like so we've made food way cheaper but you're right because you could make the same argument for slavery in the sense that like well look at all the economic benefits of it you know it kind of turn a blind eye to it so you actually kind of like not you know, kind of changed my mind on it a little bit because I've always been of, of the mind where like free range eggs, free range animals. That's great if you can afford that. But I don't begrudge the poor or middle class or working class family from going and buying their ground beef from Vons. Yeah. Well, if you're poor, yeah. you got to get by. Right. You know, there, there's that. Right. And you're you're in a system that you didn't design. You didn't create. You're just you're in there and you're just trying to get by. I understand that. But what I'm just saying, like as a whole, as a culture to to just openly accept factory farming and to not think of it as a, a horrific ethical and moral injustice. I mean, it really is. You know, this is coming from someone who eats meat, right? So obviously you could, the vegan argument would be, well, you're complicit in it and you're also complicit in a bunch of other horrific crimes against animals. I think that what we're looking at, though, is a, 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 an, under, an awakening and sort of an understanding of our impact like physically our impact on this and but mentally the way we think about things the way we even think about ourselves if you know that your bacon is coming from an animal that was tortured and shoved into a cage and you buy it anyway like ooh you know how what does that do to your mind yeah it's interesting it's a, it's sort of a it's a conundrum you know, like do you, what you you obviously hunt and stuff like that, but when you buy meat, do you go out of your way to to make sure that it's? Uh, I buy almost no meat. So you so you you all the yeah. meat you eat is is typically something. Now it's it's taken a few years to do it, but now I mean I shot two elk this year, and elk is, you know, they're close to a thousand pounds. So you're just so you're swimming in meat of hundreds of pounds of meat. I have two commercial freezers here. I have two in my garage at home. I give meat out to my friends. I eat elk four nights a week, you know, and when I go out to dinner, though, I, I do eat steak. You know, if I go out to dinner at some restaurant, I don't ask where I came from. Right. You know, so in that way, I'm a hypocrite. No, but, not necessarily. I mean, I think I think I think striving is important, right? You can't always be perfect, but but being better, I think if everyone was better as opposed to being perfect, then the situation would be better. Yeah, so I don't also, think there's anything wrong with that. There's a reality of there's an economic reality. Um, I can take the time off. I can take two weeks off out of the year, because I, I went two, on two elk hunts. Um, I've been on four hunts this year, 
and three of them I was successful. And one of them I got an axis deer, which is also like 100 pounds of meat. And so that's most of what I eat. But most people don't have time to take three weeks off a year. And, and you also have to have the time to practice and you have to know people like there's a lot of fortune good fortune on my side to be able to do something like this but it's also a concerted effort and becoming obsessed with the idea behind it of doing that you know yeah it, it becomes a different thing it becomes a, like food is just a different thing i mean if you grow tomatoes in your garden that food becomes a different thing yeah it's like almost spiritual in a way like well, well, you yeah, like a connection to it it's an overused word spiritual is kind of a, a word that's sort of been hijacked sure but yeah like nazism <laughs> yeah like nazism there's a little there's a lot of words that have been hijacked the word spirituality is really hijacked by morons you know, I, as someone says, I'm really spiritual. I see, I see unfortunate tattoos and wooden beads and, and, and nutty talk, you know, Reiki healers. Was that they call them? Reiki? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. You know, those people that think they could heal you by rubbing their hands above your skin like, without your touching aura. you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that Reiki? Is that what they call it? Yeah. But yeah, there's, there's, there's a, um, a completion of the cycle in, 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 in lieu of a better word. There's a, like, I grow food in my backyard, and I grow plants and vegetables, and I, I when I eat them, it just, it just feels like some sort of a completion, like it feels good, whereas it just feels like a good salad if I get it at a store. Right. Well, it's a, you're it's interesting. You're almost subsistence living, in a way, because you're hunting your almost, own meat, yeah. and yeah, you're growing some of your own produce. It's pretty cool. Yeah. You know? But I, I wonder... Um, just, but I need the I need the grid for electricity, right. you know. I mean, someone's got to build the bows and the arrows. I buy from a manufacturer. You're not whittling very, the wood yet. You're you know, very strict tolerances. It's I mean, it's sort of subsistence, but it's there's all these companies that are involved behind creating the materials that sure. you use to. So it's it's like capitalism uh, slash uh, subsistence, but it's it's interesting because it's 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 the point I made earlier. You're further along the path of sustainability or further along the path of, of some sort of righteousness in the way animals are treated and all that kind of stuff than a lot of people are. So it's a step in the right direction, right? I just wonder if people, just to play devil's advocate, again, the working class family that at the median household income of $40,000 a year, if they if we got rid of some of these animal practices, which are abhorrent, but if we got rid of them, you know, are they willing to pay thirteen or fourteen dollars a pound for their beef? They probably couldn't afford it, and that that's a real problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's absolutely a real problem, and I think that um, there's a lot of people that don't, don't they don't even take it into consideration. I mean, that's 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 probably the biggest problem that we've we've made this system, and everybody who was born into this system, you know, obviously we didn't create it. But we're, we're born into the system, and it took us until we were probably like, I didn't even know what a factory farm was until I was like 30. I'd never even heard of it. And then you hear about factory farming, and you go, Wait, what is that? And you go, oh, these animals, they're all stuffed together. And you're like, what? I thought the farms were like animals roamed around. Like, I didn't, I didn't know what the fuck. Right. I never even thought about it. Yeah, it's horrific. I remember in the late 90s on TV, like on public access or on like, I, don't, I think it was just on public access, you would see these like guerrilla filming sessions that these guys would go mm -hmm. to these farms and like break yeah. in and like take all these pictures. And it was like for some animal rights activist group or whatever. And I I was always familiar with it. I just never, I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of saying like I never really thought about it too deeply beyond that, sadly, because I was just, I, I thought about the economic realities of it where I'm like, this is a terrible thing and we can fix it, but we just have to have a conversation as a society of what that's going to mean for food because the exact inverse has happened with produce where 
we've figured out ways to really dramatically alter seedlings and and what you know i was just reading about norman borlaug who won a nobel peace prize for what he did to wheat making wheat Golden um, wheat. Yeah, I'm sorry. Golden wheat. I think right? I think that's yeah. what it is. Yeah, like Made where the higher protein and yeah, and like a higher yield, but the stock mm-hmm. wouldn't collapse and all that. Right. And he's apparently responsible for you know. Like there used to be these doomsday prophecies in the '60s and '70s. People people forget that Earth. I'm thinking Day- of golden rice. I'm thinking oh, I'm of sorry. A different thing. Sorry. It's okay. Uh, there was this. People look back at the the original Earth Day. I think in 1970, mm-hmm. and they often talk about some of the the prognostications of how, what's happening to the Earth and all that today. But a lot of people lost sight of the fact that a lot of what people were talking about then was that we were going to die of famine, uh, that, that the Earth Earth's population was growing way too quickly, and that they would have these guesses by the late 70s, early 80s. You can go read it. It's fascinating. They would be like, by 1985, like billion people are going to die of starvation because we can't feed everyone and all these kinds of things. That's what they were originally talking about. So there's been these pioneering heroes in agriculture that have figured it out, that have, have these high-yield crops and all that. Right. And we're fine with that because obviously crops, flora are different. Than fauna, they don't, you know, they don't feel, they don't have, you know, we, they don't have some sort of connection with them. They don't have a brain. So I understand the differences are, are there, but it's funny how these things have totally, um, basically switched sides. Where now we, we have these high yield produce, that's great. We have these high yield ways of getting animal meat, but but no good. And I, I I think that they are different things. But does it suggest that we have to be more vegan, more vegetarian, all those kinds of things? I don't I don't know if that's the, the answer. I think we have to have a complicated conversation. And maybe it comes down to this, this idea of cloning meat and, or whatever they're doing, like making meat and, you know, process these weird chemical processes to make beef that's indistinguishable from real beef. I mean, that's fine if that if it tastes good. I'm good. I think I'm that's down. probably what's going to happen. I think it's probably going to be like these headless cows that you could just grow in a lab and just slice chunks off of them or something. I mean, I don't know how they're doing this meat thing. I don't really know either, and I'm sure it brings up a whole new slew of bioethical questions too. But Not just that, also probably health issues. It's probably, I mean, who's going to be the first person to live 10 years off of that bio meat before they figure out it causes some inoperable colon cancer? Right. Because your body doesn't know how to process it correctly, and it sticks to the walls of your colon and starts creating abscesses, and they have to remove your colon and make a new one with stem cells and cut you open like a fish and yeah, who's gonna ditch be? this new shitter inside of you? Who's, who's gonna, yeah, who's going to be the guinea pig? Yeah. Someone will be, uh, I mean, as always. I it, I don't know. And, and again, not everybody can go hunt wild animals. And if you did, there would be no more wild animals. I mean, that's really what the, the great market hunting of the um, the early 19th century. That's in the 18th century as well, I think. I think when, I don't know when they started that. I think they started in the 1700s. They started hunting buffalo and antelope. And by the time the, the early 1900s, it was almost like completely wiped out. We had almost no animals left. Because and it was market hunting. It wasn't people hunting like for their own personal use. It's that they didn't have refrigerators back then. Right. Remember, so you had to get meat, and it didn't last very long. And they had to get a new supply of it constantly. And they would just go out, and they would take these guys that were from the war, and they didn't have uh, jobs, and so this was their job. Now they would go out and hunt antelope and elk and deer and then sell that meat at the market. What's interesting too about that is that it's the human condition. It's not only like the more modern human condition. I was, I'm reading a book or I, I just read a book called 1491, which is about the condition of the, of North and South America and Central America before Columbus. Con- before Columbus. So there was Viking contact and stuff, but, um, and they were talking about, you know, which is, I think, well known to a lot of people that, that the Native Americans, the Paleo Indians, wiped out tons of animals before when there was literally only a few hundred thousand of them, you mm-hmm. know, um, because they were overhunting them. So this this 
the cycle continues, you know, regardless. And you even hear about that in Iceland with the Norse that lived there, where they like depleted their their very precious woodstock there. There's no animals, and you know, a lot of. It's not just modern humans that are that are ch- challenged no. by this. A lot of you know the the woolly mammoth and all of these animals were wiped out by humans. You know, so that's very controversial, by the way. That that is, um, there's a lot of people that believe that that had to coincide because the dates coincide with the end of the ice age. And there's a guy that I've had on this podcast several times named Randall Carlson, and he has some very compelling evidence that points to the possibility that it was asteroidal impact. That, that wiped out these animals in mass. And that's one of the reasons why in certain parts of the world you could find mass graveyards of animals that were killed almost instantly. It, and this was 10,000 years ago or something? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 10 I, to 12,000 years ago. Just, they think there was two possible large impacts that happened. Um, so they weren't bolides. They were, they were actually, they actually struck the, so they weren't like the Tunguska event with an right. explosion they actually hit? They think it struck the ice sheet above North America. Oh, interesting. So there would be no evidence. Right. Well, North America, well, that, they think that that was the reason why there's this it's a fascinating podcast to go back and listen to and he um i had him on with another guy named michael Shermer, who's a famous skeptic and graham hancock who's also a proponent of some of his ideas and um they showed all these images of like these deep fissures that were cut into the into the land that must have been a massive amount of water over a very short period of time and he thinks it was probably a large body that slammed into the polar ice caps or slammed into, rather, the uh, ice caps uh, that are above. You know, North America, somewhere around 10,000 years ago, at two miles high of ice over much of the surface of it. And all of a sudden, boom, gone. And that's what caused the Great Lakes. I mean, the Great Lakes are essentially these gigantic glaciers that melted. And uh, there's all sorts of features in these various landscapes that he believes point to massive amounts of water that happened over an incredibly short period of time. And the explanation for that and the peaks and the, the rises and the falls in temperature um, during that time when they do like a core samples of the earth, he thinks that that also points to some sort of uh, an impact. That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, it coincides. What's his name? Randall Carlson. Randall Carlson, I don't He's remember that. He's been studying this his whole life. He had an idea once when he was on acid. He went and looked at over this uh, gigantic canyon when he was on acid, and he had this idea that this all happened because of water. He was trying to like piece it together, and then became fascinated and started studying it, and then got really into asteroidal impacts and. He's a wealth of knowledge, man. A really, really fascinating guy to talk to. That's fascinating. I love that stuff, man. Yeah. Well, that's what's so frustrating and why I didn't study in college or really super interested in um, ancient history or even you know paleo history and pre-human history and stuff because it's also hypothetical. You'll never really know. You know, you have to just kind of trust people much smarter than you yeah. that they have these 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 good ideas that sometimes conflict and but you'll never really know the answer. It's it's so frustrating to me. Well, know? those ideas definitely do conflict. Here, this is the area that he looked over. Here, play some of this so you get some volume on this. You know, it probably was a lake, something on the size of what we're seeing here now. Right, right. And it probably, this would have been a sill or a spillway for yeah. the pre-flood Columbia. Right. When the floods hit, they ripped through here and just lowered the valley floor by about 200 feet. Right, right. Based upon the present depth of the river and the height of the twin systems. Yeah, yeah. Now, the twins themselves, I mean, that's a basalt outcrop. Yes. But is that, has that been sculpted by the flood, or is yes. that... Yeah. And, and had the flood continued for, let's say, you know, another few days, a week, or whatever, they would not exist anymore. They would have been yeah. literally washed away. Right. But they're quite deep under. 
is a long, long, that's fascinating, detailed thing. I mean, he's talked about it on the podcast for hours and hours. I've had him on several times, and it's, it's still there's still a lot of information to cover because this guy's been studying this his whole life. I'm gonna look so into that. That sounds yeah, interesting to me. Absolutely positive that humans had an impact on woolly mammoths and a lot of other ma- animals, but. There's a lot of people that are very, very hesitant to blame the entire uh, eradication of these animals on people. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know enough about it. I, yeah. I do recommend the book, though. Did you, just an interesting insight into uh, 1491. It's called just an interesting insight into into agriculture, into just some ideas that kind of cobble together some sort of like vision of this place mm. before you know mainstream european contact because obviously a few places that i would i mean if you had a time machine I mean, i've always thought about this like if you could go in some sort of an invisible bubble and experience the earth at, at various stages there's two two things i would love to see i would love to see during the great pyramids like when when they were in their prime i would love to see what did, what was egypt actually like before they burned the library of alexandria and i would have loved to have seen uh, a native tribe in north america pre-colonization right you it, know it'd be fascinating oh, it would be, man. and that's that's the frustrating thing is we'll never really quite know the answer but it's it's fun to speculate about and you, i was reading inter- and i think you'd find interesting i was reading about the easter islanders mm. um and how they have they have sweet potatoes on the island which are not indigenous to the island and and they the sweet potato had kind of spread around polynesia presumably from south america and there's this interesting thing that the na- the word I don't remember the exact word, but the word that mo- many Polynesians um, or many Polynesian societies that were separated from each other use for the sweet potato is identical to what they were using on the South American mainland, Whoa. indicating that um, the 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 islands might have been populated from the other direction. They, they assume that people came down from like what is I guess like Indonesia into Australia and then kind of hopped over to those islands. But people are suggesting that there must have been contact from. Paleo-Americans on those islands because they eat sweet potatoes, which are indigenous to South America, and they call them the same exact thing wow. that the these societies that were thousands of miles apart um, had had experienced. And you hear about about a lot of this. Was there cross transatlantic contact? Yeah. Um, could that? And then it gets into crazy like conspiracy theories about the pyramids and stuff. But were there? Were the, did the Phoenicians come over? Were, were there Egyptian contact? Did the Chinese come here? Did the Romans? I remember that there was this. Uh, this theory that Romans might have been on the Pacific coast of, of North America because they found, um, I guess they apparently found some coins, Roman coins, and they found um, these jars that I guess were ancient Roman or, or supposedly ancient Roman anchors um, yeah, for ships. I've seen that. That was, that was, these are recent discoveries, right? I think so. In Over the last, last 10 decade. years, maybe. Yeah. 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 I mean, the human history is, it's, you know, kind of pieced together by what we find. And every now and then they find something, they go, oh, okay. You know, I mean, what's really crazy is that the, with the Native Americans, when the settlers got here, when Europeans got here, they didn't have horses. But horses actually evolved in North America. Horses evolved in North America, and then by crossing the Bering landmass, made their way into Asia and, and all throughout the rest of the world, even zebras. They originally started in North America. It's wild. But then somehow or another, for some reason, they went extinct in North America and, you know, they survived and thrived in Europe and then they were reintroduced. And Dan Flores, he's a a wildlife (coughs) historian, he he maintains that the Native Americans, once, once they had firearms and the horse, that they would have wiped out the buffalo on their own. That it had nothing to do with like, like market hunting and all the, all the things that the Europeans did. 
was terrible and it happened quite rapidly. But he maintains that it was it was going to happen anyway. Just just the nature of what kind of an animal it was, and that humans were eventually going to get to them anyway. Yeah, I mean <clears throat> that's what we were talking about with the human condition and how things don't seem to change yeah. regardless of who you're talking about. And I'm always fascinated by these tangential kind of connections between these different societies that we're learning more and more about. That the world is way smaller than I think we thought it was oh, yeah. in antiquity and even before that. Um, they were talking about how some. Uh, Greenland, like, uh, and and I guess Newfoundland and New Brunswick and all of these kind of had these Indian tribes that definitely probably had extended contact with the Vikings for a long period of time, and and these words kind of find their way to like the St. Lawrence Valley that yeah. describe the same things, and then when the French fur traders come, they find that they're using words that they shouldn't know, and yeah, it's it's super fascinating, like the, the these these brilliant scholars that kind of put these things together for us, you know, to, to no, read about. It is amazing. You know, I mean, it, 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 and just think of how much we don't know. I mean, oh God, to, to be able to go back 6,000 years ago and just be a fly on the wall in some ancient civilization and see how they interacted with each other. Oh, it would have been awesome. It would have been yeah. awesome. Cause you even read about, there were these great, there's outside of St. Louis, I think it's like Cahokia or something like that. It was this massive native American, Metropolis in North America. We often think about Central and South America as having these, you know, Aztec, Inca, all these major cities, but there were major mound cities in North America that were populated by maybe 25, 30,000 people, and they were wiped out before we even got here or before our European ancestors got here. Um, And it's so, God, you're right, because it would just be so interesting to see how how do they live? How do they farm? What was their commerce like? Um, you know, what was their languages like? Did they, did they, did they have written records that didn't survive? And I don't know. It's, but again, that ties back in a Venn diagram of frustration because you'll never really know. There's a ranch uh, up in central California that I go to sometimes called Tejon Ranch. And there's these stone, um, circles that are carved in rocks. So they have these massive rocks and then there's like these concave, like, uh, dugouts where they would make bread. So you're, you're looking at places where they would grind grain into these rocks. And these holes are, you know, who knows how long they, they existed. Who knows how, how long ago these subsistence farmers or subsistence uh, p- people li- lived there and, and did this. And so you're, you're stepping over these rocks and staring down. There's, there's some Getty images of them. Those holes were carved by the Native Americans and they were done over fucking years and years of grinding stones into the stone. And now what's interesting is a lot of the ancient Egyptians, I went to see the uh, mummy exhibit at the Natural National uh, Natural History Museum or the Science Museum. Which one is it in California? Anyway, they had a museum uh, exhibit on mummies and they said all their teeth were ground down. And it's because when they would make their bread and they would grind stone into stone, it would create sand. And that sand would be in the bread. Interesting. So they'd be eating this gritty, sandy bread. And that's that's what they ate. And they would just chew their fucking teeth away to nothing. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's this marriage of archaeology and anthropology and uh, sociology yeah. even that... Gives, I'm always disconcerted that more people don't find this fascinating. Right. You well, know? you're a real student of history. I mean, you really love history. I do. I love it. I mean, I thought that was a really interesting subject when you and I were talking the first time. You, you, and you're a young guy, but you embrace it. You know. I think it's fascinating. Someone has to do it. It's not. It's not practical. Uh, I always tell people. Um, people have gone. You know, over the years, fans of mine have you know gone to school for history and asked me, should I study history and politics? And I'm like. 
you can. I think you should do what makes you happy. I think it would be much wiser for you to study pharmacy or right. chemistry or something. And there's make, not a lot of money in history. Yeah, there's not. Yeah. There, I mean, it, I remember when I I was about to start grad school when I um when I got my job in the gaming industry and I left. And um, I remember professors being like, 50% of all history PhDs will never find a job in the field. Um, 50%? Yeah, like, because there's no, it's the same thing with archaeology. Like, uh, I, I played around with the idea of doing like a American archaeology, which is a growing movement. They're digging up Jamestown, they're, they, you know, all those kinds of things. And there's just no money in it, you know? Um, and so I, I try to just, I want people to just love history like the way I love it and understand it. And I think a lot of it is because it's not told well. Uh, it's not. Yeah. The stories, dates and times are interesting. I, I remember them and I think I have that kind of brain, that right, that kind of right-centered brain where like I, I remember facts and dates, but that's not really what's important about it. And if people taught history more as stories, then, and which I think is what I'm trying to do with my show, then I think that people will enjoy it more. So I think that's like the greatest pleasure of what I do is people saying like, I hate history or I hated history or God, I thought it was so boring, but this is such, this is so interesting. Thank you for, you know, bringing this to my attention. And I was like, well, you know, more power to you. And now we can remember what happened and these stories are interesting and they're important. They are important. And how many people are taking advantage of that? How many people are passing these stories around? I mean, how many Dan Carlins are there in the world? Yeah, not and not many, and, and yeah. pretty much no one of his skill. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Jamie, can you get me one of them cavemans, please? And another one of these jammies? You want a caveman coffee? You want to get jazzed up? I'm okay, thank you. I don't drink coffee. You don't drink coffee at I all? just don't like it. I have no problem with it. I just don't drink it. Yeah. You just don't like the taste? Or yeah, just, you it's don't not... like getting jacked? Oh, no, I don't mind, get, I don't mind getting... Yeah, <laughs> I could use some energy, but no, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. I always feel like I'm missing out on something. With, with coffee? Yeah, because yeah. like, people really love it. Like My girlfriend's the same way. My dad, super co coffee connoisseur. Really? Yeah, he loves it. He I loves love it. coffee. And like, I feel like that with cigarettes sometimes. I know cigarettes are terrible for you, and I think they smell gross, but I see people taking a big drag of the cigarette, and they seem so satisfied and excited by it. I'm like, hmm, maybe I'm missing something. <laughs> yeah, I always, see, I always see people outside of work in my neighborhood. You kind of get to know the, the characters in your neighborhood, mm -hmm. right? And, and they're always standing outside smoking, you know, having a little me yeah. time. Um, I'll tell you what, though. I, I smoked one of Tony Hinchcliffe's cigarettes before a show once. Uh, I think I've done it twice now. And uh, you, you're, it's a real cognitive booster. I mean, it really does stimulate you in a very strange way. Thank you, sir. Do you think you're better when you after after having? What's better? I don't know. But sometimes you're not better stimulated, especially doing stand up. Sometimes you're better, you know, balanced and calm. You know, it's, it's but it's mentally, it's it definitely stimulates you in some sort of a weird way. I was like, ooh, this is like a different sort of feeling. It's like, if you ever smoke a cigar? Yeah. Yeah, you get high off cigars. Yeah, I can only smoke half of it, or I actually yeah. start to get like almost nauseous. In yeah. A way. yeah, yeah, you get high. Like the, the the nicotine in a fat stogie definitely gets you high. There's something to it. It makes me think about these old these old timers. People still do it, but my friend growing up, his grandpa would always that smell reminds me of him because he'd always just sit on the porch and smoke, but it just chain smoke like cigars. And yep. I'm like, how are you not animals? Just like <laughs> different I, people. It's incredible. I, I, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, how is uh you were doing the sober thing for the sober October, yeah, I'm still right? Doing it. So today's the last yeah. day. How do you yeah, feel? Today's the last day. Um, nervous, nervous to smoke pot again. Yeah, I'll tell you that. God, I haven't gotten more than like two days before. without smoking pot in <laughs> fifteen years. So I don't even. <laughs> it's weird. I'll tell you the big, the big change is your sleep. I have radical dreams. Really? Yeah, radical, really realistic. Um, uh, confusing dreams where in the middle of the dream you don't realize that it's a dream. Like I had a dream that I was lying on this couch, a couch that actually exists, a couch in my house, and that I was cold, so I grabbed this blanket and I was pulling the blanket over me, but the blanket was kind of stuck in the pillows. So you know how like, you know, like kind of uh, struggle with it to get the blanket over you? 
And then I woke up and there's no fucking blanket. I was like, oh my God. Like I dreamt that I was pulling a blanket. I mean, it was so realistic that I would have sworn if I woke up that I had struggled to get that blanket over me while I was taking a nap on the couch. But there was no fucking blanket. I was reading. And as I was reading, I decided I was going to lie down right here and sleep. And I must have passed out and decided that I was cold and went through this elaborate dream sequence where I pulled a blanket over me. But I was convinced that I had woken up cold and had to adjust and pull the blanket over me and went back to sleep. It's amazing. Very vivid. Fucking super vivid. But there was no blanket anywhere near me. When I woke up, I mean, there's just fucking couch, pillow. That's it. No blanket on the ground. No, not so like I could have gotten up and put it over there and sleepwalked. There's no fucking blanket. But in my mind, if you had asked me, like, uh, did you wake up and pull a blanket over? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I remember. No, I don't remember shit. It was fake. Are you, so are you looking forward to not doing this anymore? Or are you kind of like, or do you want to keep, keep doing it? Like, are the benefit, are the pros outweighing the cons? I think there are real creative benefits to marijuana. I do too. There's, um, there's states that I think you achieve when you smoke pot that are unattainable without pot. I think pot makes me more introspective. It makes me nicer. It makes me calmer. It makes me, uh, I have a better sense and understanding of like the importance and value of community. It makes me more sensitive to the things that I'm saying. You know, um, I don't. I don't think pot's bad. No, but I, I don't think either. It's always good to take time away from anything just to get a better baseline. Sure. Just to bring yourself back down to neutral. Yeah, I, I feel like I, I. It's something maybe I should challenge myself to do as well because I remember. I mean, I've been. A, I've smoked marijuana regularly my whole adult life. And uh, it, it becomes the, t the some people dip in and out of it like it's something that you do recreationally or you want to get stoned before a concert or whatever. But I always found that it was a it was a, as, as sad as it sounds to some people. I think that it was almost part of my process in a way mm. where even in college, I was writing a paper or I was working or, or whatever the case might be. You know, I feel like, yeah, let's take a take a, a smoke a joint uh, or something like that. And and I agree, like I, I get most creative to this day late at night. When if I smoke or, or do something like that, I'm, I'm writing good stuff. I'm having good ideas. I'm writing ideas down. And then sometimes they, I come back to them later when I'm you know not stoned and I can flesh them out more or whatever. Yeah. But I agree that there's great um, there's great creative benefit to it. And I also feel like I'm really happy that in a very short amount of time, uh, American society has come around to, to the benefits of marijuana, not only medicinally, but just recreationally. And the numbers, the polling numbers from the early 2000s to today are radically different. We're talking about shifts of like 30, 35 points mm -hmm. and how people feel about them. And um, that it, like any like you're saying, like with anything, um, moderation is probably key. I often um, in my life don't because it can make me lazy too. it can get me very interested in uh, music or something like that. And I get distracted. Right. So in my general day to day, I don't smoke until I'm done with what I need, like the administrative shit I need to do. I'm done. I'd, I've gone to the grocery store. I've done all these things. OK, now it's time for me to relax. You do know? Your, your grunt work. Yeah, exactly. And so. Uh, so, but do you have like a, do you have a, like a specific joint or something strand ready that you want to smoke when to get back into it? Are you going to ease back into it? Or are you going to, are you going to, oh, pull, it just says, Jamie just pulled something up. Oh, okay. Poles oh. of fine, supportive legal weed at an all time high. That's great. Yeah, no, I just, I'm just going to just smoke some pot. I'm going to do it tomorrow with Owen Benjamin. We're doing a podcast together. So I'm going to get high for the first time on air. Nice. Well, that'd be interesting for the audience. Yeah. It should be interesting for me too. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little nervous because I know it's going to hit me like a goddamn freight it train. Will. 
Yeah. Choo choo. I bet my tolerance is down to zero. But that that's gonna be fun for you because now you'll you'll you because know, I do feel like there's a plateau, obviously. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, like heavy duty hardcore daytime stoners. You know, they don't they don't feel anything. Yeah, it's almost like a it's almost like sustaining some sort of feeling, but you're not. Yeah. You, you can never reach that that feeling again, which is again why moderation is important. And it's the same thing alcoholics, frankly, feel and other people yeah. that abuse things. So, but marijuana, we have a very infantile sort of approach to what marijuana is because of I think because of the all the prohibition bullshit that people went through from the 1930s on there's this you know this weird propaganda that that marijuana is the devil's weed and it's terrible for you when there's a lot of like cultural and societal benefits to achieving those states of mind i think they they really do make people nicer you know i think it, it calms you down it may, like here's the big one that everybody's worried about paranoia it makes you paranoid I don't think that that's I don't think that that's a bad thing necessarily. I think that paranoia, that feeling of vulnerability, it probably makes you more honestly assess how you interface with the world. You know, there's a lot of real danger in the world. You know, and I think that marijuana probably makes you really think about that real danger in a way that you perhaps ignore or put in the back of your head, but it's always there. It's always there in your subconscious just sort of grinding away at you whereas marijuana brings it to the front, has a light, shines that light on it, goes, hey, maybe you should look at this. How, how about the fact that your lungs don't work so good anymore, man? How many more years you got? Right. How many more summers do you think you have on this planet? You know, you got 40, you got 50, you got 60. That's it. If you're lucky. If you're lucky, you got 60. Ah! <laughs> well, but you're right. It's fascinating because if it, if it opens up these places in our brain that are creative, that let us write better, that make us funnier, mm -hmm. and, you know, with your comedy, for instance, or whatever the case might be, then you know, and it makes you kinder, which I agree, it makes people, it mellows people out, then of course it would make sense that it opens up these dark recesses in your brain yeah. that hide or shield these things that you don't want to think about. And I agree that confronting those things is normal. I think uh, paranoia, I think, is a, is a side effect of, of marijuana for sure, but it's about how you harness it. And if you think about it within the terms and the parameters that you're talking about it, which is that these things exist. Yeah. So you're just thinking about it. It's not like you're, it's not a manifestation of something that doesn't exist. No, and it makes you aware of some things that, are very easy to ignore, but are pretty fucking huge, like space. Like my, One of my favorite things to do is to smoke a joint and go out and sit in my backyard, just pull up a lawn chair, put my feet up, and just stare up at space, and just think of how fucking insane it is that there is this in, immeasurable view of infinity that's above our head, and we sort of take it for granted, and we barely stare at it. We barely look at it. We barely take it into consideration. It's just, it's just a thing that we completely take for granted. But when I'm high, I can really freak out about it. It can get to... One of the things that I like to do when I smoke a little pot is get to the base of a hill. There's something about being in the base of a hill and lying down where you're looking up, and you see the hill, and then you see the clouds moving over the hill in the background, the blue sky and the clouds. There's something about that that gives me a more accurate understanding of atmosphere, of this thin layer of protective air that keeps us shielded from radiation, the magnetosphere above it, all this stuff that, that's above us that's just sort of like slowly moving around this just this giant globe there's that there's that view 
where you're laying back and you're looking up at the clouds rolling over the top of the mountain. It gives you like a more of an understanding of the, the spherical nature of the planet and the fact that it is draped in this atmosphere. It's just a real weird, trippy reset sort of a feeling that I get from that. Like, ooh, this is, we're on like a convertible spaceship. Yeah, it's, 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 it is remarkable. The, it, it, brings, it brings like memories forward of like that, that rare Earth hypothesis, the idea that we might not necessarily be alone, but this is so yeah. unique that yeah. maybe it's worth, you know, the, um, the, what was it, that Harvard professor that did the mathematical equation of how, if we're alone or not. Fermi paradox? The, yeah, the, yeah it, like where he gives kind of numbers to, right. to various things. And and uh, the suggestion there is that we probably, life based on the, the confines of a, of a 13.5 billion year old universe that is expanding at the speed of light is probably that we're not very alone. Uh, yeah. But the idea that like this planet with just this in just the right place with a moon that protects it from a lot of you yeah. know ancient asteroid and comet collisions that um, with oxygen and water it's just so fascinating and I think that we often don't think uh, like in a weird way galactically about it or universally about like how everything that we experience is based on our experience on this little globe hurtling through space yeah as temporary uh, life forms it's yeah and, and I, I like it because it it removes this to me, I'm, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in, in God. And I, I feel like that's liberating in a sense. I don't mind if people have faith. I come from a family of faith, you know, Catholics and they don't agree with me. But that, that y- you almost let go and just be like, we're here. We have a finite amount of time. It's probably a mistake that we're here or some sort of just random occurrence. And it, it's liberating because you use the time you have to do what you want to do. And, and then you're gone from ashes to ashes. And, I, and a lot of people look at ashes to ashes as like this dark thing. And I'm like, this isn't. It's kind of nice. It's kind of interesting, you know. Like, like what, what's here is gone. What, what, what will be is made from what you were, you know. Well, people are absolutely terrified of the idea that they're not going to be around to experience something. You know, it's weird because everybody's afraid to die, but no one's afraid to sleep. That's <laughs> that's deep, and it's true. I mean, I'm, I, I hope that I get to see things. I, I feel like one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm bummed about for our, like, for the time in which we live, you and I, is that I feel like we're in this middle space. Where yeah. some crazy shit's gonna happen in probably you know twenty one hundred and beyond when we really start exploring Dude, space. Crazy and shit's happening right now. I think we're at the embryonic state of crazy things happening. And I, yeah. I, we might you know think about how far we've come even in the last fifteen years. So who knows? But, but the, the idea of traveling to other star systems, the idea of meeting life, the like, yeah. oh man, imagine how frustrated you'd be. If a contact-like situation, Jodie Foster, Carl Sagan-like situation happened. While you're on your deathbed. Yeah, or <laughs> even when, if you have 20 years left and they don't give you right. this this radical mathematical equation to build a spaceship, but they're just like, hey, we're here. Mm. And we're 150 light years away, and, and you have to literally take 150 years to send that message. You know, it will take that long to send the message back, and then another 150 years to get the message back, and so on and so forth. What if they're all like Putin's Russian mob, but in space? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this idea that they're going to be some sort of altruistic, beautiful alien race that's gotten past war, and what if it's like a race of Harvey Weinstein's out in the universe, (laughs) just predatory, (laughs) come here and mouthfuck us all? I mean, (laughs) I mean, who knows what? Why they would care about us? I mean, and then also there's this assumption that they would treat us better than the way we treat monkeys that we find in the Congo. Because we don't treat primates very well. Well, it is funny how that's true. We don't treat almost anything very well, except yeah. for our dogs and our cats. Yeah. But the the um, it is funny to think about this kind of these kind of thought experiments that people do, and the astronomers and and you know whatever about what what would be the 
why would they come and what would be the nature of them and what is their you know why are they taking the initiative to contact us and it, it's interesting that a lot of people do settle on the they if they're going through this trouble they're not coming here to to fuck with you that's like, silly but i i think like why not you know i don't know I, why would you make an assumption based on human understanding of anything what they're going to do well know? this is a very in terms of like resources this this planet's very rich you know i mean think about it what if they're from a planet that's low in water we're three quarters water the surface of our planet is mostly water right we have uh, all sorts of weird minerals and who knows how i mean they're rare in our solar system the, what what we find on earth in terms of uh, the biological life is insane right? right we we haven't even found biological life anywhere else in the solar system so it could be that this is just the ultimate fucking sweet spot. I mean, we are in what we call the Goldilocks zone, right? right? But then there's also my thought is always why we, it's just like it's such a limited thing to think that biological life as we know it, carbon-based life on the planet Earth that exists between the temperatures of X and Y, you know, and it has a lifespan of you know whatever the fuck it is. Like, this is the only way life can be. Like, pfft, why? Yeah, no, I, I never bought that. I always was confused by that. Like, yeah. why can't a species breathe ammonia? Yeah. And, you know, right. like, I, I, and that's why they use the term, I guess, life as we know it. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm of the same mind as you. I, I think with just the mathematical permutations, uh, you know, multiplied by the amount of space covered, even the exoplanets we're finding now, I know a lot of them are gas giants and stuff like that, and they're really close to the star system, but they indicate that. Maybe we're not all so unique. And I was reading a thing about Jupiter and Saturn, even um, in relation to exoplanets uh, being found that are similar to them, that they might have been far closer to the sun when they formed and then were pushed out. Mm. Um, so maybe we're seeing solar systems earlier on in their, in their life cycle. And, and there's a lot of... I love space, too. Like I, I, I think it's a super fascinating um, study. I wish that I was smarter with math, with physics, and all those kinds of things, because I have a very, very limited understanding of that stuff. You know, yeah. like the... Um, that maybe I would have explored that instead, but I don't have that. My brain doesn't work like that. You know, I can't do calculus. Are you a fan of science fiction? Yes. Do you like? Did you like the Battlestar Galactica series? Loved it. Loved Fucking it. great! Right? It's awesome. One of the most underrated series ever. It was awesome. I I, I the agree with you. The new one. Yeah, yeah, the one from two thousand four. Yeah. Yeah, I I, uh, I loved it because uh, I think it married really well sci-fi, believable sci-fi, with. Um, the problems we're encountering maybe with AI now with the Cylons and then a religious aspect, a yeah. monotheistic polytheistic culture yeah. is kind of clashing a lot of de there's a lot of depth to that that I think um, people don't see because they're turned off by the setting. But yeah. I think a lot of people just missed it because it was a retake of, uh, what was it, 1970 show? Yeah, it was like 80s. 79, 1980, yeah. something like that, yeah. It was a retake of that show that seemed to be at the time to be a Star Wars ripoff, you know? It was like, there was like your Luke Skywalker character that was Starbuck, you know, there was all mm -hmm. this, there was all this stuff to it that people like, ah, that's a fake stormtrooper. Right. Ah, this show sucks. Yeah. You know? I, I, and it was a movie. Yeah, it was, or it was a show rather. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it started as a uh, like a mini series, which mm -hmm. is about the Cylons turning on the humans, and then, or a, I guess the end result of them turning on the humans, and then uh, and then they expanded into four seasons. I think I think the show is amazing. And the uh, new show was it only four seasons? Yeah, Damn, I think it was, was two thousand. Yeah, I think it was two thousand four to two thousand nine or something like that. Bring it back. Come on, fuckers. Netflix, get on it. Come on. You, I know. You're canceling House of Cards. Give us some Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, Battlestar was great. I thought that they, they told the arc really well. Fascinating. I thought the acting was pretty good. Yeah. Um, and uh, I like the idea of the 
because we're dealing with it tangentially now, the uh, the idea of not that it's unique to to that story, but of of AI and, and robots turning on you. You know, yeah. like it's a, very smart people are telling us that that's very possible, and so we should probably start listening to them. Yeah, well, it is possible. Of course, it's possible. I think we could be a new life form. I mean, I really do believe that. I think we're either probably going to be augmented by these creations, and you know, we're going to choose to you know, take on new body parts that function much better than the body parts we have now, or we're, you know, essentially laboring to create some thing that's going to surpass us. That, that absolutely could be it. This idea that it's artificial too. It's like, well, it's right there. It's real. Like if it's a life form, oh, it's artificial life. No, it's electronic life. You know, it's something that humans have created, but it's still life. It doesn't, like if you take a plant, right? You know, I was looking at these plants, and they splice different plants together, like they, they splice pistachios into avocados. Like they have like the base of an avocado tree and pistachios are grown on the outside. I'm like, what the fuck? That's I wild. You, I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. Well, is that artificial? What is that? Seems like it's artificial life. Right. I mean, it seems like they've figured out some way to engineer things in, in a crude sense. You know, by splicing and grafting and do, doing all these different weird things to plants. Well, that's it's still life, though, right? It's still alive. It's functional, and we we think of life as it has to have bones or blood or scales or fins. Says who? Says who? Says us and our limited sort of vocabulary and our very very limited encyclopedia of variables that we allow to to consider life. Yeah, I think I think you're right because we have to judge maybe life based on consciousness instead yeah. of um, not that a plant would have consciousness, but th- I think that's the kind of the ethical question we're going to start coming up with with machines in the next twenty or thirty years is, are you developing something? It, it, there's actually a great I don't want to ruin it for you. There's an, an amazing Black Mirror that kind of touches on this. It's called uh, I think it's called White Christmas. Uh, you should check it out if you have time. Okay. Um, and uh, John Hamm's actually the main character in it um, from Mad Men and. Uh, it, it, the idea that like if something is conscious, even if it's not real, or, or even if it's only in a computer, um, what does that mean? And what if the what if it was trapped there? What if it didn't have agency over its life, but it was still conscious and stuff like that? Like you're we're messing with things that we don't understand right. in this regard because even the word consciousness doesn't really have a, a concrete definition because we right. don't even know what it is. We we are conscious. But my dog's conscious, but right. are they self-conscious and and right. at what level of consciousness? And that's what makes us human. Right. Right. Um, so if we're going to implant that into other machines, even if they're just computers, even if they're literally just running on an operating system, then then there are there are definitely going to be ethical questions to ask. I did, think. Do we, did you see that um, Google situation they had where the two computers were communicating each other into a, with a language that they invented themselves? I read about. Yeah, I saw. I, I read a, a little bit about that, but I don't know too much about it. Yeah, they shut it down. They're like what? <laughs> Yeah, it's horrifying, right? <laughs> it's happening like so much quicker than. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's it's we 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 envision these things as like Skynet or the Cylons or something like that, but I think it's gonna be much more quaint. Yeah, you well, know, that's what th- they were very stunned by this, and you know, I saw somebody trying to diminishing it, uh, trying to diminish it, and he was like, "Well, it's just ones and zeros. It's just like the, what they're doing. They're communicating ones and zeros." I go, "Yeah." But they are talking, exchanging information back and forth in a method that we don't understand, and they do. How the fuck do they? And why have they chosen to talk to each other? And is this like one, you know how you have like a science fiction movie, and in the beginning of the movie, you have these engineers sitting around, and the, the, the engineer's going, uh, Mike, Mike, come here and look at this real quick. They're talking to each other. 
what do you mean they're talking to each other? They're, well, there's there's a language. This is see this, see this is an exchange here, and here's the answer, and here's a response to the answer, and here they've agreed upon this, and now they've expanded their sentences like shut it down, just shut it down, just well, what do what do we do about this? Let's let it play out. No, no, let's shut it down. Let's talk about this, and then they shut it down, and it fades to black. Cut to smash cut, like you see a new time. 2034 right. <laughs> and it's some dystopian mad max fucking world and robot people are running down the street chasing after biological people wanting to use them for fuel well it's interesting it's interesting because there are different um there are different reasons why a robot or a machine might turn on you right like yeah. i i think the cylons were interesting because they turned because they were enslaved right so right. that the, the, that was there was vengeance which is a human quality by the way uh, uh an animal doesn't really understand vengeance, but a, a robot do. do. Yeah, well, I guess about higher primates or whatever uh, might understand a retaliatory kind yeah. of thing. But generally, this is a human quality, right? And um, what's well, a primate quality? Primate, for primate sure. quality, and uh, so there's that. But that, so there's like this enslavement, retaliation kind of thing going on. But then there's the very like um, what I always find fascinating, and I think this is more what Skynet was all about in Terminator, although I don't really remember, is the idea that if you look at if you look at the landscape of what's happening and you and you just remove the most inefficient part of it it's the human like in other words them acting as they are machines like mm-hmm. this this doesn't make any sense this makes our processing slower this particular component needs to be removed so there's a very logical reason why they would go after you too yeah. i think it's it is the stuff of sci-fi but like so many things that start in sci-fi it ends up bleeding into into real life and i think it's uh when i see people like stephen hawking bill gates elon musk all talking about this i'm like yeah. these are some of the smartest people that society has ever given us yeah and i think we might want to pay attention and have some I, I think what they want is some sort of congress not not american congress but some sort of international coalition that agrees this is what we're going to do and this is how far we'll push the boundaries because <sighs> um and i just don't know that we'll get there before it's i don't want to say before it's too late but before we have a a scary situation i mean e- and even from a, a mechanical situation what they're doing at boston dynamics is fucking horrifying. It's so, like, so crazy. I, I, I look at the videos and I'm like, what the? F-? the and they're, it's so funny because uh, some people had said in the past, like if you see them, like they're they're using hockey sticks a lot to like beat them or like take like knock something out of their hands and stuff. And I'm like, yeah. these are the videos they're gonna show. <laughs> they're gonna show them in their in their military camps when they're turning on humanity. Yes. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. There's so many different versions of them. They have them look like they look like cheetahs. They have them that look like dogs. I mean, here's they look like people. Like it's look insanity. At this one. Yeah, and I'm, these guys are just constantly working on these things too, and constantly improve. Where is Boston Dynamics? Is it actually? I think it's in. in Ca- I think it's in Cambridge because I think a lot of people. I think a lot of people at uh, MIT might migrate there, and wow. I think Google owned them, but I think they've divested, if Man, I remember correctly. That is so wild. Yeah, and the ones where they like knock them over. Yes, and like they get up. Yeah, they kick. Yeah, this. Them. Yeah, like because the gyroscope is going, I guess, and it's. Yeah, gyroscopes are fascinating. You know, just something that can sort of self-balance. This yeah, is the stuff they're going to show thing. them and like the, yeah. and to hype them up in their propaganda. Yeah, God, <laughs> it's fucking amazing. It is. It is amazing. I mean, these are these are like, so what? smart. These people that that do that that manage to know, do this. But don't you want to pull them aside and go, "Hey, man, what's the fucking end game yeah, here?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like they're all playing make a with robot. You can't kick over. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on, dude. It brings up, um, it brings up uh, like ideas. How will we fight wars in the future? Mm-hmm. Will we oh, do them with this? A hundred percent. Yeah, especially if we fight some war with some sort of a primitive culture. I like how they have them balanced with all these packs. It's and great. Stuff it's too. incredible. Like, yeah. Highlight clip of all the times they've abused a robot. <laughs> is that what this is? Yeah. 
Oh my god. Yeah, the robot general right now has this playing behind him and as he's yeah. talking and he's like, remember what they've done to your ancestors. Well, they're saying abuse, but they're checking tolerances. No, I, I know. You know, the, the robots need to relax. This is how we made you so awesome, you dumb fucks. <laughs> 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 you stupid pricks, you can't even walk on ice. Now, the interesting thing the, the interesting thing one. to me about this is, and I don't know if you feel it, but I kind of do, is like when they're tripping and falling, I, I have this feeling so of like, I have this feeling of like, yeah. Where I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Look at this yeah. poor guy. Yeah, you feel bad for him. Yeah, like, wow, oh. this guy, he can't even kick this one over. Wow, that thing is stout. Yeah, I mean, so they have multiple different models. The video name is funny, by the way, Jamie. It's, it's literally named every time Boston Dynamics has abused a robot. <laughs> <laughs> it's not abuse, you dummies. It's fucking testing. This is how they find out. But look at that nerd that's kicking it over. Go back to that guy. Oh, that, that thing sucks. Go back to that one guy that was kicking it. Look at him. He's like, looks like he just, oh, I'm going to get back and everybody. Go, go back. Go back to him so you can see him do it. Watch, you, know, you fucking piece of shit. <laughs> He's like, looks like he always wanted to kick somebody. He's projecting. Like, even with his little tiny short steps, like he seems awkward before he kicks it. Like, yeah, I'm going to kick it now. Look at this one. Oh, it's bouncing on one leg and hitting it with a 20-pound medicine ball. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we're we're in for a weird hundred years. Yes, and that's what I'm saying. I hope that we get to see some because I think it's gonna get fucking crazy. Yeah, no, there's no doubt it is. There's no doubt it is. It's just like how crazy and what's going to be the issues that we're gonna have to confront. Sentient life, and and, and also the real question is, d will it have any motivation to advance? Like the idea is that the real fear is that these things are going to be so hyper-intelligent that they're going to be, be able to create a much better version of themselves fairly quickly. Like, as soon as you give them autonomy, and as soon as they're sentient, you're, you're going to say, oh, okay, make a better one. Make a better one than you. And they're going to go, well, this is, you guys fucked up here. Like, why you have all these shitty connections, and let's do it this way, and let's do it that way, and let's connect to each other through, you guys are using Wi-Fi version, you know, 6. This is weak. Like what we need is this new form of Wi-Fi that it uses the particles in the atmosphere as transistors and 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 sends back and forth to each other through a highly charged signal and like what? Yeah, like, how, how'd you fucks figure that out? And then next thing you know, but they they're not going to have ego. They're not going to have this desire for, and this is this is you know a real underlying um, aspect of the motivation of the human race. The desire to recreate and to reproduce like this desire for sex and this desire to it's, it's one of the reasons why people accomplish things they don't just accomplish things because they have this desire to see what happens when they put these two things together and what's the result they, they want they want fame they want status they want power they want money and they want all these things because they want to be more sexually attractive that's a big part of the motivation of men you know, so it's, it's a weird thing. I mean, that's one of the reasons why Jeff Bezos doesn't just retire. Why doesn't Jeff Bezos, when he just became the richest man in the world, how the fuck are you going to spend $90 billion, Holmes? Just cash out. Right. Cash out and just chillax forever. You know, just walk around with a big red wig on so nobody knows who you are <laughs> and just live like a king. 
Like, go wherever you want. Fuck all this work, man. You're waking up in the morning freaking out about Amazon and making sure everything gets delivered in 30 minutes or less like a fucking pizza. Instead, <laughs> just live. But no, no way. Jeff Bezos has a fucking supermodel girlfriend now. He's balling. Everybody he jumps from one gold Lamborghini to the next one. I mean, you start thinking, I want more. I want this. I want that. Well, what is the motivation to do something like that? Where is it coming from? In, in men, I think a lot of it comes from this need. I mean, I think if you could brought it down to the base level, it's this weird biological need to reproduce or to spread your genes or to be to, to stand out as something particularly impressive. You know, you're peacocking for, for females right. in, in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah, it's, it's it, there well, is. There he is. Look at him. Stud. I know. I, it is amazing to me where I'm like, I dream every day about how I can retire as quickly as possible. And then these, these guys that have the, the means to do it don't. But there is an internal drive with guys. I mean, you don't found a company like Amazon unless there's something special about right. you. And I don't mean that as a derogatory thing either. Like there's well, something really about a person. Weird. Ironic is it's, it was originally founded to sell books. It just it was a very simple site. Have you ever seen the original Amazon site? Yeah, you can go to the Wayback Machine, right, and, yeah. look, and look at all that. Yeah, it's, it was uh, just a really simple site to sell books. And I remember when Amazon started selling other things, I was like, "What are they doing that? They sell books. Why are you selling like fucking kids' toys?" Right. Yeah, like, they moved into music, and then I think they yeah. and then they started expanding from there. It's funny though. You brought up the, uh, you know, the the robots making better versions of themselves. I mean, that's yeah. that's. You know, not to be nerdy about it, but that's exactly what happens in Battlestar. Like, the, what sure. comes what comes yeah. back to fight the humans is not what left. Right, right, you know? right. And because uh, they just were like, we're not good enough. We can make ourselves better. They made those killer ones that look like people. Right. Yeah. The number, the numbers, whatever they call them. Yeah. And, and then even the, them. and even the Centurions look better, like are more effective, yeah. which is their soldiers. And uh, there's that one episode about the Raiders, which is their ships. They have these yeah. autonomous ships that are alive, that are fighter ships. Yeah. And uh, and about how they one of them is named Scar, and he and he keeps having these experiences, but like he's really a good. fighter fighter pilot yeah. or whatever but he's alive and yeah. they're and it's like it's really good fucking show god yeah. damn it. Oh, come people, on netflix I know. bring it back if you guys out there you have such a great audience that would oh my god you uh go check it out the numbers yeah. will spike on netflix they'll see it and then they'll be like oh maybe we'll <laughs> maybe if, if folks if you haven't seen it i'm telling you it is a and i think it was sci-fi that made it right yep. it was like a, it was like sci-fi is like coming to kind of like yeah. they, they it was a legitimate thing that they did yeah. and it was very overlooked because people were like well it's on sci-fi well it's battle Battlestar galactica but it was like a really well done science fiction drama and then yeah edward james almost was in it too and that woman uh, that played Starbuck. What is her name? Katie. Katie Sackoff. Sackoff. Yeah. yeah, she was fucking great. Yeah, she was great. There, there was a lot of great actors. Uh, a lot of great, interesting characters in there. Yeah. Um. You know. Uh. Even characters that really made you not like them. Like um. Uh. What's the not Gata? He's the, the, the guy. Supper. The guy to the the guy to the to the right next to her. Uh. The professor. Yeah. Like he, you really hate him. Um. Yeah, you hate a lot. Gaius, of Gaius. Gaius Baltar. Yeah, there was a lot of people that you hated, but goddamn, it was a good show. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, and a lot of these, I don't see many of these people in, in anything today. I mean, obviously, uh, James Edward almost is a famous actor, but otherwise, I don't, I don't see them sprinkling anywhere. Not that I watch a lot of things. Yeah, um, I know, man. I always wonder about that. When you see someone who's in some gigantic hit show, and then they kind of vanish, you know, like, where, where'd you go? Yeah, I, I, maybe maybe they wanted to go do something else, or maybe they can't get, you know, I, I would assume that they all could kind of write their own their own way you think that but i think that also people get pigeonholed into a character you know there's certain characters where you you see someone and they're on the sopranos and from then on they're christopher maltasante forever is that right. his name is that his yeah, name? yeah yeah i mean that's who he is right right forever 
and it's it's hard to break out of that for a lot of people. Sure. The one person that managed to get out of there was uh, um, uh, the the wife. I can't think of her name. E. Falco. E. Falco. Yeah, she was obviously yeah. big before that too in some things, but she did Nurse Jackie and all those kinds of things. Yeah. Some people managed to break out of that. But you're right. Did when you were on news radio and stuff, did you find when you when you went to to casting or anything like that? Well, I never really acted again. So, yeah, I guess you found your way into Fear, fear Factor yeah. and stuff like that. So, well, you, But you I, never even tried to do anything after that? I, t- I was offered some stuff that was terrible. Like, um, there were some sitcoms that w- just came my way and, you know, you read the scripts and they were just... Aw- the, the, the real problem was that news radio was so good that the curse of being with that talented cast and amazing writing and amazing production and and also nobody knew about us like when we were on the air like people that hear about news radio most of what people heard about was from news radio's reruns like when we went into syndication and we started playing that's when people started really getting into news radio news radio really found a big audience after it was canceled which is ironic yeah it's unfortunate but it was good because the show didn't have anybody fucking with it very much like we didn't we we it would it was a weird show in that regard. It was not a hit. Like that show was not a hit show while I was on the air. I was like my friend Lou Morton, who's one of the writers, he would wear a different T shirt. He would come down to the table reads in a different T shirt with a number on it based on what our rankings was in the ratings. And he came down once and it said number eighty eight. I go, Fuck dude, we're number eighty eight <laughs> And he goes he was like, Yeah And I was like, Oh my god, we're getting cancelled You know, he started thinking, Fuck, why did I get that lease in that apartment? I'm doomed now. My sister Dana was a big fan of the show, I remember when it was on. because um, I'm the youngest by far of all my siblings and uh um so she, I think it, I think it's a little surreal that I'm on the show actually uh, for her. But I, I yeah, it, I think it's still on syndication. I feel like I've seen it, um, or maybe, maybe not, maybe in like those deep channels, maybe like a, a maybe. Not. I'm trying it's to think some things. What is that one down there? Oh, the space one. Like, see that's an, see the one with me with the white jumpsuit on, Jamie. See, that's a perfect example of how fucking weird they were. They they did these weird ones where we were on. Oh, that's not it. That's not the same one. That's not the space one. We did one where we were in space for some reason, but it was the same. It was the same fucking newsroom, but the newsroom was taking place in space. It's just they did a lot of weird shit. They did one where we were completely underwater. Um, we did like a Titanic episode where we we literally filmed the show in waist high water, and we we're on a ship and we wore like old schooly clothes, like from people that you know from the Titanic days. It's just a extremely. Go to that picture down there. Go back to that. That scroll up. Scroll up with a picture of the cast. I'm wearing sunglasses over there. We're at some. That's uh. That was when we went to the um the Emmys after Phil was murdered, and uh, he still lost in the Emmys. And Dave Foley turns to me right after they gave it to the guy from Frasier. He goes. What the fuck does he have to do to win? You <laughs> know, it was such a morose, hilarious moment where me and me and Dave were just laughing to each other. It's just strange times, man. It's weird to go back and look at yourself too from, you know, whatever it was 20 years ago. It's just strange. Would you ever do you have any interest in ever doing something like this again or no? no? Never. No, I have no desire. It's a lot of work. It's this is so easy. I'm so fucking spoiled. Come down, sit down with people like you, have a nice conversation, talk, right. talk about interesting things that are happening right now. 
it's fun, you know, um, and not that that wasn't fun. It was really fun, but it's somebody else's thing and it's a lot of work, you know, like it took a lot away from uh, my stand up. It took a lot away from doing other things. You know, when I started doing uh, I started doing UFC commentary back then, too, in 97 it was when news radio was on the air. I was actually the uh, interviewer, the post fight interviewer. And um, they would they were saying to me, they would treat me literally like I was going off to do porn. They were like, why are you doing this? Like, you're going to fly to Alabama <laughs> to work for a cage fighting organization? You're a fucked up person. I was like, this is the sport of the future. I know. You, you saw crazy. You saw something a lot of people didn't, I think. So good for yeah, you. Yeah, I don't know why, man. I, well, honestly, I probably didn't really see something. I just saw what I liked. And I, for whatever reason, good or bad, there's me, 1997, for whatever reason, good or bad, I've always 100% trusted my instincts. Like, I, when, I, when I like something, I go, well, I've got to go do that. Because it's what I've always done. Right. It's, it's what's led me through my life. Like, if I went back and I looked at my, my decision to get obsessed with martial arts or my decision to quit all that and get obsessed with stand-up comedy, my decision for the, I mean, all the decisions that I've made have all been insanely impulsive, passion-driven, um, derided by everyone around me. Like, what? You're going to do what? But they ultimately all worked. Well, it's, it, what, your, your story is so interesting to me because you have legitimately large pieces of your audience that know you for totally different things. The guys that watch UFC and see you kind of do, you know, in that sphere. And then you have the guys that, you know, watch the show and, or listen to the show. And you have obviously people that love you as a stand-up comic. And then the, obviously the crossover between all of those. So you've it's managed to create weird. you've managed to create like three different viable lives for your for that all intermix it's pretty cool well the the ufc thing is is very strange because whether or not anybody uh agrees with my opinions on life outside of it they know that when i'm doing commentary i am doing my absolute best to honor what's happening inside the octagon and I have a deep knowledge and understanding of what's going on like this isn't like do you remember when I don't know if you remember this, but Dennis Miller used to do Monday Night Football. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, people fucking hated him. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, I, re I remember. Yeah, they were so mad. They were so mad at him. And this was before I think I was doing Fear Factor, or before I was doing um, the UFC, or maybe I was doing the post-fight interviews, but I hadn't done the commentary yet. Either one. But I was like, you can't force funny into something where people want to watch the thing. You know, like you can't force funny into like Alien, the movie Alien. Right. Like it's not supposed to be funny. The thing is, this is a dramatic, horrifying science fiction movie. You don't force funny into something like that. And that's what I felt like Dennis Miller's like, this is just like back when Sean 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 had the ba ba ba. You know, he's like one liner, one liner. Right. Like that's his thing. You know, that's what he did. But I never did that. I, uh, I always just did commentary. Like, and if you heard me do commentary unless something happens that's fucked up in in inside the octagon and i have to like go what the fuck is this and then i go on a rant about something people would have no idea that i was funny at all right well and that's the kind of nurturing those different audiences right yeah. and and but i wasn't i never thought about it that way it's not like a concerted effort to nurture anything right it's just the ufc in specific is uh it's about first of all it's about getting out of my own way and honoring what's happening that's like you have to kind of honor 
you got to think when a guy like this big fight this weekend, right? TJ Dillashaw is going to fight Cody Garbrandt. It's probably the biggest bantamweight fight of all time. When those two guys get into the octagon, you're dealing with the consequences of the history of an entire division, the, the probably the two best champions in that division going at it, the two of the three best champions, Dominic Cruz being the other one, going at it in this historical matchup. Like, there's a lot, you have a lot of responsibility. And they have to think about it that way. Right. It's, it's not about you at all. Right. No, I think I think it's uh, I think it's it, it's it's interesting because I feel like I've actually been challenged in that same way. You know, because I, I came up as a gaming commentator, and you know, D- Dennis Miller. I think a lot of the reason people were kind of concerned about him too was that he would tell political jokes or, or yeah. bring political things in, which was unheard of at the time on Monday Night Football or on football in the NFL generally. And now it's part part and parcel with the NFL. And I'm a huge football fan, so I'm I'm bearing witness to it every every week. Um, but I, as a gaming commentator, I've often found um, some difficulty in keeping out shades of that, shades of politics and kind of social commentary in what I did as well. And that that certainly alienated some people. But I also think it engendered, um, like, wow, this guy's honest and just tells you exactly what he thinks as well. So well, I, was, I was able to benefit from that, but I also don't have the audience that, that you have as well. And I think keeping it structured and separated is, is wise. You know? I mean, it is sometimes, but it's also sometimes wise to just be yourself. And that way you never have to worry if people like you for who you are. You know, if you pretend to be someone else, like that's like, okay, I hate to bring him up again, but Cosby is one of the, the grossest parts about it. We had it in our head that this guy was this squeaky clean, <clears throat> you know, middle America, perfect example of uh, this ethical, moral guy. Meanwhile, he was a fucking rapist. You know, when you, you're around something like that, you appreciate someone who's just themselves. You know, I mean, obviously you don't appreciate him if himself is a rapist. Right. right. It's maybe the, a bad example. But but what, like, what do you define yourself as? Do you think of yourself as a libertarian? Are you a Republican? No, I was a Republican. I, I left the party after Trump won the nomination. You're like, enough. Uh, well, because I can't. I can't. I couldn't stand him. Um, I consider myself a, a moderate Repo- or a moderate conservative. Um, don't you think it's a, interesting that Trump was a Democrat his whole life? Yes, I, I think he's just an opportunist, and, yeah. and and I think the Republicans wanted to just win. Um, but I also think he had 17 people in that field, or 16 other people in that field, and he was winning, uh, you know, primaries and caucuses with 35 percent of the vote. So, um, and then he obviously, I, I have no problem with the electoral college, but he didn't win the popular vote, and so right. I, I. So to me, I was like, I, I I identify as conservative. I feel like the word libertarian has been totally bastardized. Like the it, we were talking about words that don't mean anything anymore. Yeah. Where people almost look at libertarianism as like anarchy. Yeah. Um. And and to me, I'm like, I I'm a social libertarian. I always call myself a social libertarian. I believe that drugs should be decriminalized. I think that um you know obviously this the state shouldn't be really involved in litigating who's getting married. I think if you want to have a polygamous relationship and everyone's uh, uh, cool with that, that's fine. All that kind of stuff. Uh, prostitution should be legal. I think all that is true. Um, but from a <coughs> governmental standpoint, I think that the government has a place. Um, I think that the government can do positive things um, that only the government can do. Um, and so I, I, I'm very un- I'm also a protectionist and stuff. So I also don't I, I also don't believe in, in li- a lot of libertarian mantra. A lot of people call me a libertarian, but I, I don't I don't I haven't called myself that in a long time. What makes you lean towards conservatism? Uh, conservatism to me is simply um, uh, the idea that government shouldn't be involved where it doesn't need to be involved if there's no uh, justification for it. So, right. But so, if someone looked at you, they wouldn't think conservative. You got an earring, you got tattoos, right. you're a young guy. Yeah. You look like, not a hipster. 
I wouldn't say a hipster, but you're millennial-esque. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I am what I... It was funny. <laughs> I, was, I was listening to some guy talking about me on one of his political shows, and he's like... And he presents as hip. And I'm like, I know one's ever called present. me... Yeah, I present as hip. And he told I me present. I had a lot of bad ideas, too. But oh. the... But the uh, I was like, I've never, no one's ever called me hip before. Um, but, yeah, I... Is that I, even a thing anymore? Hipster. Hipster, yeah, I don't... Is I, there I, hip? I, I guess. I mean, I guess I, I don't. I don't even really understand exactly. I, you, you know a hipster when you see one, but I still can't really tell you what it what it means. You can see some of them, man, for sure. You see them coming. Yeah, with the big, you know, sometimes the big '80s glasses and the crazy. I don't know. Uh, Teach his own. Uh, but I, I consider myself a conservative simply because I believe that the government is too big. Um, I think that the government doesn't need to be involved in everything it's involved in, um, and I think that the idea of conservatism is simply inconsistent. Um, I think the conservative position on on the the global women's right to choose is pro-choice. I don't think it's pro-life. I think that the the conservative because it means that the government's not telling you what to do. Right. Just as if just as the government doesn't have the right to you know have confiscatory taxes, just like the government doesn't have the right to take your guns. The government doesn't have the right to tell you you can't marry a man if you're a man, and the government doesn't have a right to tell you, um, you know all you know that you can't have an abortion. So the true classic sense of conservative ideals versus what we see today, where it's sort of a mixture. Of conservative philosophy, but the religious influence. Like, right. There's a tremendous amount of religious influence because, well, from the Reagan days, right? When when Reagan sort of courted the the religious right. Yeah, it actually started with like even even Nixon in a Nixon way. Nixon did as well. Yeah, it, it's the the the, <clears throat> the Southern strategy and all those kinds of things, and the idea that um, that you know the map has changed. That like we in in American politics until really the Civil War, parties were coming and going constantly. Like the parties were, you know, the Federalists and Anti-Federalists were, by the time James Madison and James Monroe were president, those were antiquated terms. Those were only five presidents in between Madison and, you know, or Monroe and, and Washington. So, you know, we had this churn, the know-nothings, uh, free soil, all these kinds of things. And suddenly the Democrats come out during antebellum America. Republicanism begins in 1856. And you have this idea of these parties that just exist still. To this day, and simply morph constantly into these different things, making me wonder why we don't just have new parties constantly. But to your point, the reason that conservatism and liberalism aren't these aren't in these neat buckets anymore is because they're tied to these parties, and they have to constantly justify themselves. The Republicans under Ulysses S. Grant and Teddy Roosevelt were the original progressives. They were the ones that wanted land to be set aside for national parks. They were the ones that freed, obviously, the slaves. And, you know, not so much Teddy Roosevelt as much as Ulysses S. Grant, and all these kinds of things. And suddenly everything ch changes, and then suddenly everything changes again, and so on and so forth. And and so none of these words have any definitions anymore, which is why I didn't identify with Republicanism anymore because. I was like, I consider myself a moderate conservative, but what's conservative about evangelicalism? What's conservative um, about uh, even even ideas of like free trade and stuff like that? Like the idea of just having these these open markets that destroy your your ability to manufacture things, that that drive wages down, that do all these kinds of things. There's nothing conservative about that at all, you know. And and so to me, I was like, I just have to find my own way forward. So I just consider myself independent, you know. And 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 I feel like I'm consistent in what I say, because I think you can match them all up. And I don't think there's any consistency in saying, uh, you can't marry this man, uh, but don't take my gun. You can't uh, have this polygamous relationship, um, you know, but uh, we should have prayer in school. Like it doesn't, these things don't make sense to me. You know, like the, mm. it, you have to be consistent. Well, the religious things always seem to me to be compromises to get the support of the religious right. It seems like they, they move towards those directions because it sort of reinforces the power that they have behind them because they're the only candidates that are willing to do that, right? Right. Because the left is not willing to, they're, they're not willing to go down that religious road in the sense of a woman's right to choose, in the sense of a lot of things that they, they get liberals to support them. 
it, it would be antithetical. They would, they would lose that support. But do you think that a guy like having a guy like Trump in office, that one of the good things about having a guy that's obviously fairly unhinged and ridiculous is that we need to reconsider like what it is to be a president. And this idea that this guy could get into this position by just sort of conning everybody and, and doing a lot of make America great again speeches and saying a lot of crazy shit about we're going to build that wall 10 feet higher and right. all that, the, all the nutty rhetoric that went on during the camp and then seeing him in office and seeing who knows if he's even going to get out of these four years without going to jail. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think that there's I think you can glean positive and obviously negative things out of out of Trump's administration so far, right? What do you glean positive? I think what's positive is what we were talking about earlier, that the system works. That like nothing has breaking broken down at all. In right. fact, like we've seen from the circuit courts all the way to the Supreme Court and with Congress that there actually are these are legitimately um, viable and independent bodies in the in the checks and balance system, right? That right. And this is why I think it's so deeply offensive to 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 you know in a way to be like well, fascism's alive in America and all. And I'm like it's not it's not what fascism would have looked like from a governmental standpoint is Trump's coming in suspending the Supreme Court, dismissing Congress, and trying all these crazy things that would have happened. That's what fascism looks like. What fascism right. doesn't look like is you passing a travel ban and the Supreme Court saying no, and then you trying to pass it again and then the circuits courts say no. You know, right. and oh, that's not what fascism looks like. That's right. what republicanism, small r, republicanism looks like. Yeah. And so I think we can glean positive things out of this, that people got mad at me after the election because I was like, the world's not ending. I, I actually tweeted it that night. People were losing their minds. I'm like, it's going to be fine. Well, you know? people are super emotional. They were, but understand what we've survived. Understand when we've had elections, like what has happened, right? We had an election um, in 1860. And really, even in 1856 and 1852, when things started to really start to fall apart. And we had one in 1864 during the Civil War. We had an election in 1932 during the Depression. We had an election in 1944 when we were fighting the Nazis and the Japanese at the same time. We can survive this. Like, we didn't, no one came in and said, like, we don't need an election now or untoward things were happening. We still went through the rigors of our system every four years. Everything stood up. Everything was fine. And the, the suggestion that Donald Trump is going to be the guy that the the Confederates didn't do it, the Nazis didn't do it, the Japanese didn't do it. Nothing did it. Donald Trump's going to be the one that destroys the American Republic. It's absurd. And so I and so I, I take I take that as a positive. But what I take as a negative is it, we're just wasting time. It's just time wasted. It's good theater. It's entertaining, but it's not funny because nothing. They've not gotten anything done. And um, I want tax cuts. I think that's great. I, I, I want some reasonable things happening that the Congress can pass with Trump to sign. But I think these are just wasted four years. You know? And so that's not funny at all. It's just it's, it's making the problems worse. A lot of wheel spinning. Exactly. We have deep problems. $20 trillion in debt. A massive deficit. Uh, uh, we're spending $600 billion on our military. $600 billion on our military. It's nuts. It's insane. We have to start asking ourselves questions of geopolitics. Do we need to be in Japan anymore? Do we need to have these bases in Poland? Do we need to, you know, we have a lot, like, but we, we can't get past this buffoon that's our president in order to, like, start asking ourselves deep questions. So we just have to punt until a normal person's in there again. And I think we'll get a normal, I think he'll survive his term, but I think, I don't think he'll run again. I'm, I'm of the mind that he won't run again. Specifically, really? Specifically he's already ran for re-election. He's already filed. Well, he, yeah, he's filing and he's raising money, but I specific, <laughs> I think that once Kellyanne Conway and these other people that are, that engineered the election for him to begin with, after the midterms, which I think are going to be interesting, I think the midterms actually benefit in some ways the Republicans because of the map in the Senate. But I think that um, when it becomes clear that he cannot win. You really um, don't think he would win again? Uh, I, I don't, so... 
it's interesting because I'm friends with I'm good friends. I went to college uh, with this girl who's a lobbyist in Washington. She's a Democrat and she's pretty well connected. And I had dinner with her a couple weeks ago, and she was like, "Not only will Trump run again, he'll win." And and this was when everything was going on and all this. And I'm like, I just don't see him subjecting himself to the possibility of losing. He won once. You know, and it reminds me of 2004 when Bush won again, but he also won the popular vote. You know, he beat Kerry and it kind of legitimized himself. I think that Trump is going to risk further illegitimizing himself by subjecting himself to, you know, not only a primary, which is going to happen, which is the death knell for an incumbent. Think Gerald, ask Gerald Ford, ask Jimmy Carter how that went for them when they were primaried because they were so unpopular. And then he goes in, and there's going to be the Dem- if the Democrats are smart, they put someone up that's really good. Um, and uh, but and I also think there's going to be an independent candidate that's going to s- screw everything up as well. So I think he has a very very high likelihood of running again, and I think he could absolutely could win again. Do you think he'll win the primary? Because I'm not even sure he would <clears throat> get through the primary. I don't know. I mean, w- w- it all depends on what happens over the next three years. Obviously, I'm. In no way, shape, or form, a political expert. <clears throat> but I think that we got a lot of dummies in this country, and all we need is momentum. All you need is one event, some big thing to happen where Donald Trump solves a problem. Do you remember how happy people were with George Bush directly after World War I, or not World War, after September 11th? Yeah, people right yeah. after September 11th, and he made a bunch of speeches and said a bunch of things, and and his approval rating it's shot ninety like percent or something like that. It shot up. And people were very excited, and they were like, this is, this is the reason why we need a, sort of a good old boy president. It's because when push comes to shove, they know how to get the men in uniform behind it and just take care of this problem with military might and make America great again and all that kind of horseshit. If something like that happens with Trump, and Trump, you remember how he had that one speech? <clears throat> Jamie, can you give me another one of these things, please? Remember he had that one speech where... Um, Everybody's like, oh, that was that was presidential. Like he had one presidential speech where he spoke in front of Congress and uh, everyone was clapping and he said a bunch of things like all you need. All he needs is one event, something that happens where he steps up and manages it with uh, a, a reasonable vocabulary and 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 does things that people approve of, especially some sort of a catastrophic situation or any sort of a uh, military situation. If we have to deal with North Korea, if we have to deal with something where there's uh, there's like real legitimate concerns. Thanks, buddy. If if that happens and he manages it, people get scared and they don't want change. I think if that happens, it's entirely likely. If we have to deal with some sort of a catastrophe, some sort of a tragedy, some sort of an attack or an event, and Donald Trump manages it well, it's entirely likely that he could be president. Sure, there could be a there could be a moment like that. I wouldn't throw. I mean, I wouldn't throw anything past him specifically because I and many other people were so wrong about his ability to win to begin with. I thought I just didn't. I thought he would do. I kept saying I, he's going to do better and get more votes than people thought, but I, I I didn't think he had a prayer of winning. But there are certain things you can look at where it's like, well, it's, it's about 50,000 votes along three states that he even won at all. The vote was suppressed pretty. And I'm not saying he was it was actively suppressed. People just weren't enthusiastic about this. So people weren't out there to vote. They now people see the consequences of not voting. Um, I don't think that I don't think that it's like the I guess what I'm saying is that the, the, the prognostication that like this is the end of the world. Right. Like that Donald Trump being president. We've had terrible presidents. You know, like we've had really bad presidents. But he's the worst. Um, yeah. In some sense, he's. I'll say that he's the most incompetent. We've had some. We've had some presidents that were just in shitty situations that they couldn't manage. Long, long time ago. Yeah, I would say Hoover's probably the last one, and, and Buch- James Buchanan obviously was an awful president. The, in in you know eighteen fifty seven, you know the states started to secede when he was president. So and he couldn't do anything about it. 
Um, so we've had really dire, serious situations under presidents that were not that were in over their heads. But there also is no footage of them. There's no film. You right. know, you have to really go back and read history to understand the consequences of their actions. Where we're seeing all this play out in real time. We're seeing the poverty of his vocabulary, the way he communicates in the press, the way he pats himself on the back. Like the other day, he said he has one of the great memories of all time, right. and like he says things that are just preposterous. The one about him being an Ivy League. Like, I went to an Ivy League school. I'm yeah. an intelligent. I'm like, I don't. I'm one of the guys that says like I don't think he's dumb at all. I don't. I don't think he's stupid. I just think he's in over his head. Did I, you I, ever see him in the '90s talk about running for president? You ever see that vi- video footage? I yeah, think it was on yeah. Charlie Rose yeah. or something like that. Starting in '88, he started talking about it. Even yeah. yeah, all the way through. And when you go back and listen to that, like, he, first of all, did something happen to his brain? Like, why is he so clunky now? Like, why are his sentences so poorly formed? And why is his speech pattern so shitty now? I mean, that's what you got to wonder about, like, old dudes. They get to a certain age, especially guys like him who don't exercise, don't eat well. Right. He has a KFC bucket and all that. He's got a big, fat gut. And he's just, like, how well are his neurons firing, you know? Yeah, he's, he's... See if you can find that video of him back from, you got it? Like, watch this. Listen to this. I think that if you had to do it again, I'm not sure you could. I went through a period of two years that was truly tough. But, in what way? Well, you know, you have parents and you have people that adore you and you have people that for 15 years nothing went wrong and then all of a sudden the world seems to be coming to an end. I mean, it just seems to be coming. And it's just, uh, it was just sort of an incredible experience for me. Did this is him to to humbled talking say, about going bankrupt. Help. I'd like Tell to hear him talk about like uh, running for time. president my, though. My father wouldn't have been is in a position there? to bail me out, but he certainly helped. And you know, morally and, and it's the whole and interview is like an hour played. long. So. Oh, okay. Uh, my mother was great. Uh, I have probably, a sister who's a federal judge. Find that she's very, very. You to find that particular no, no, no. Just listen to listen to his speech pattern. I never knew as to loyalty whether or not she'd be there or wouldn't be there. And she was there in spades. Other people were there, but you know, the the incredible thing is you can't really tell. You can't really tell who's going to be there, who's not. Um, I would have bet my life on certain people. I would have said, uh, politically speaking, that somebody that you know, Andrew Stein, would have been there. And he wasn't. I would have said that other people... wasn't there for what? He wasn't there in terms of... For 15 years, I supported Andrew Stein. Supported him. I I never asked him for a thing. When I needed a vote on Riverside South, until the very end, when everybody else was on board, Andrew was not there. And I I was really surprised at that. Now, ultimately, he was there. But it shouldn't have been so difficult. Right, it was, really shouldn't have been okay, so But difficult. here comes one of the things they, they say about you is that there are ticks within you of vindictiveness about that. And you're not going to forget that. And part of the Trump style is to, at some point, you're going to try to get Stein back. Well, I don't think I'm going to try and get Stein back. I'm just disappointed. I'm disappointed in other people. And I'm not disappointed in some. I mean, there have okay. been people. Well, but my point is, he seems like a much more reasonable person. Yeah, cogent. Like, yeah, yeah. It, 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 could, it, it could be age. Maybe he's going. Maybe he's a little senile. I have no idea. But know? also, I think, and this is something I've been really um, battling—not battling, but bouncing around in my head a lot lately—is that I think this this hate of him, the the constant insults, the attacks on him, the constant, I mean, he blocks people on Twitter all the time because people, and now people are suing him to say that he can't yeah. block him on Twitter anymore. People are being very petulant about that. But, so. but this, all of this, like the Saturday Night Live satires of him, all the, all the, the shit that they do is ramping up his mania. 
and it's it's actually bad for all of us you know and that you don't get someone to change by going hey fucking change you know you're a piece of shit like that doesn't make people change it makes people aware that you hate them and depending entirely upon their personality whether or not they're reflective or introspective how they how they react to that he seems to react to it by by like doubling down and by getting more aggressively defensive and more self-aggrandizing and more self-congratulatory you know he right. seems to get more trump yeah you know it's almost like he's the hulk like you ever see when they shoot the hulk he gets bigger right right yeah it's <laughs> you know he he definitely he doesn't deal with uh he, he's in a situation where someone needs to lower their rifles right and point and right. and, and, and after he was elected um I thought for sure that smart people are in his in his transition team and he's not surrounded by dumb people. He's surrounded by inexperienced political operatives, but he's not surrounded by dumb people that someone at some point would have said, like, we can now get down to the act of governing. And I'm of the mind that if he just started acting more normal, if he stopped tweeting so much, if he just spoke in a more normal in a more normal way, did normal things, people would have forgotten a lot of what happened during the campaign. And, and he would have been in much better shape to get legislative goals through and stuff like that. But he he can't help himself no. like he he and that's why i think like this destructive i don't i just don't know that the american people are going to want this again like I, I think that i think that he has a base of 30 35 that will be there but isn't that what obama had at his lowest for approval uh, ratings yeah in his second term i think he was down down to that um like i think his lowest approval ratings were were higher than trump's lowest but he's in the neighborhood. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not even saying because approval ratings are fickle. You can do all sorts of shit to, to manipulate yeah. those numbers. Um, and and Trump would, you know, interestingly and rightfully maybe say like, look at the economy; it's doing great. Look at the stock market; it's doing great. But I think the economy was on. It's, it's sort of deceptive, right? Because right. the economy was on an upward trend. Right, and again, it's and all he late. sort of caught that wave. Right. But there is a, a real belief by business people that Donald Trump is going to make things easier for them because of his nature. Fuck, Jamie. What happened? Newsweek had an autoplay. Those ad motherfuckers ad. with their ads. Um, that we, we have this sense that, that business people think that he's going to alleviate restrictions. He's going to make things easier. He's going to open up doors. And he's going to do things that some people think are very unpopular. Like one of the things he's done is he made it so uh, you can bring back lion trophies now. Again, from Africa. So if it's people like, want to go the... to Africa and shoot lions, you could bring them over. It's which is bizarre. Doesn't make any. What is uh, so, so. no other president? What is this? Trump's approval rating is bad. Uh, day one ninety seven of his presidency, um, five thirty pegged it at just thirty seven percent. No other president in history of modern polling had an approval rate so dismal on day one ninety seven, according to five thirty eight's tracker. Former President Gerald Ford came close to matching Trump, but could. Uh, have boasted an approval rate of near 2.5 percent points higher it wouldn't be super surprising to have obama fall into that high 30s or low 40s in his second term because that's when they don't care anymore yeah um and that's when they really start to take initiative and, and do certain things i saw his approval rate. i didn't see it below like 47 percent. obama yeah hmm right. he must have been lower than, oh is this disapproval is a little different than approval so oh right. disapproval that's true yeah Okay. Oh, there's a disapproval rating? Yeah. Do you oh. disapprove or do you approve? Well, no. yeah, because you can be neutral that on that. Right. right. Yeah. So if, like, there's a disapproval rating of 50%, it doesn't mean it's an approval rating of 50%. Correct. Right. Okay. Yeah. I think, you know, it's it's funny because I, I think with, uh, with there, there are certain things that I think people don't 
uh, understand that are unpopular that do need to be done specifically for businesses. Right. I own a business. Uh, I've owned two of them. You run your own business. It seems like with your, you know, all of your ventures as well. And it's very hard. And and a lot of people look at um, just from an administrative paperwork standpoint, taxes, all those kinds of things. It's it's awful. And I think a lot of people point at business big and small, and they look at them as like uh, these ways you can kind of like get blood out of a stone and, and take it and extract as much money out of them as possible, and all these kinds yeah. of things. And a lot of people are not sympathetic to it because, no offense, they have no idea what they're talking about. And I was I, I've been watching The West Wing again, which I love. I love that show. Never watched and, it. Oh, it's fantastic. You'd probably love it. You should you should check it out. It's, it's just a great show. Um, and one of the things they say in there is that the major difference we are people call us a democracy, but we're not a democracy. We're a republic. And the idea is that you send, you vote for people that go make decisions on your behalf. And sometimes those decisions are going to be unpopular, but some people do know better than others. And so there are certain things I don't necessarily judge a move based only on popularity, because what does what does society at large know about running a business? Nothing. So you have to ask right. people that understand what it is to run a business and how you can make that easier. So we can't judge things based on that only. My major concern with him, though, is that he's so unpopular, even in his own party and even specifically with the House that because they are constantly up for re-election that you know it's it they haven't had one legislative like win in 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 the entire time he's been president doesn't he not have all the positions fully staffed as well yeah there there are things and that's not uncommon either sometimes things go for years without being staffed or whatever I think part that of the problem is so crazy. Like, how the fuck do you take office without all the pieces in place? Because they, I, I, I who knows? The conspiracy theories run deep on this one, but I don't think he was going to thought he was going to win, and I'm not even sure he wanted to win. And I, and and I don't think that they had a real transition. Like, you know, uh, I read Hillary Clinton's book, What Happened, which is an interesting book. You read the whole thing? Yep. You okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. Jesus, well, what happened? Well, because I'd, I'd be interested. Were you high? Uh, it's part of the time, yeah. <laughs> out laying in the you know in the bathtub reading. Um, but uh, it seems like something you would have to be high to read. But I wanted her perspective, right? right? Like I think it's just interesting. And, what uh, was it? And well, there's a lot of things in there. But one of the things she was talking about was that she had they were fully prepared for their transition. So you're, you're dealing, which is not a surprise. Like she was actually talking about in October, she started taking regular meetings because they assumed that she was going to win about how she was going to staff things and the decisions they were going to make in the first 100 days. And I think you just have something that's like over the top bravado, right? And on the other end. Ironically, for someone with so much bravado, you have someone that just was totally not prepared to win, because I don't think anyone inside, except for maybe Kellyanne Conway, was. Well, telling do you think that's the case, or do you think it was just concentrating entirely on winning and then figure it out once it gets in there? Maybe, but you're you should. It, I mean, it could be anything. We we the definitive book on this has not been written yet, unfortunately. And actually, Mark Halpern was writing that book, and now he's he's finished with that. But I mean, you, you realize that he has such a limited understanding of what even his powers are, and what even like what was the guy he spoke to. We said I had a conversation with the president of the U U.S. Virgin Islands. Like, hey, dude, yeah, you're, you're the president the, yeah. of the U.S. Virgin Islands. Yeah, he makes he makes some stupid he makes some <laughs> stupid mistakes. He he doesn't. I mean, I remember uh, during Puerto the debates. Rico. Puerto, yeah, that was. There's some yeah. moments like that where I'm like, you're fu you're funny, but yeah. but the, but unfortunately, the situation doesn't is, call for it, being funny. Yeah, all it's the not time. it's not humorous. It's not yeah. a humorous situation, and I I feel like specifically with. Um, in terms of, of governance, I think he just like I remember the, the debates where he didn't know what the nuclear triad was, which is like, right. The fuck do you not know what the nuclear triad is? You know, and where he he's speaking around issues that are, are are somewhat basic. Right. And that someone that's running for president should know. And when you multiply that by not being a candidate, but by being the man in the office and then being inundated by the realities of the office, he was just ill prepared for it. And he. Part of the reason he won is because he was an outsider. And part of being an outsider is alienating everyone around you. That is an insider. Right. So he has no one for very few people that are willing to work for him that are capable, which is why I think that, um, you know, 
there's this idea. I don't know if you read about it. There's this idea that there's basically a soft coup going on in the American government right now. Have you talked about? Have you heard about no. this at all? That General Mattis, who's Secretary of Defense, and then General Kelly, who's the Chief of Staff, are basically running things, and that we. And it's kind of a scary idea because military coups are, even if they're soft, they're not constitutional. But that the people take kind of. Um, solace in this because they're like well people that are men of honor are kind of making sure nothing crazy right. happens right um and i'm like but again this is such a waste of time we but want is that someone- a soft coup or is that just he has given over the reins to the military for the first time ever because most of the time the president is in charge and the military has to come to the president for direction and for guidance and for approval whereas donald trump has kind of said look you people know what to do better than anybody do what you got to do. It could be that. I mean, yeah, it could be voluntary, yeah. but it's still its own sort of coup because that's not what you're supposed right. to do. It's not uh, what you're supposed to do. Now, I trust the military. The American Don't military you trust is not them the, better than him. Though? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say was that typically a military coup in history is a, a super negative connotation. Right. The right. Egyptians, the Libyans, whatever the case might be, it always turns out bad. But we have a, a honor, like an honor-driven military, I think, in the United States above all others that will take care of things and hand it over. Yes. If, if necessary, but but the interesting thing that people have been writing and talking about is like what happens if he if he wants something crazy done and they just don't do it. We've never we've never had a situation like that. Like what right. if what if you know what, what, what's going on in, on the Korean Peninsula, for instance, very dangerous situation, very dangerous situation. What if he goes to escalate it and they're like we're not doing that? Right. You know, that's actually the first time that we know in recorded history where where the military is not responding to the to the civilian government. Um, so there's, it opens all these yeah, hypothetical, interesting things to think about, but things that we haven't come to, that haven't come to pass yet. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't requested anything completely bizarre yet, but he said some completely bizarre shit about, you know, I mean, he's essentially violated the United Nations code or how you communicate with other governments. Right. right? I mean, he said he's threatened them. What was it? What are the terrible, horrible things? Fire and fury. Yeah. And- fire and fury, which is funny. It's, it's a, it's a. What a lot of people didn't glean out of that was that he was clearly watching Harry Truman videos. Harry Truman said pretty much the same thing before he dropped the nuclear bomb on Japan. Um, And there's videos of it where he was like a reign of fury, the likes of which the world has never seen or something like that, he says. And I'm like, well, well, you've been someone's been chirping Truman quotes in your ear because this sounds awfully familiar to me. Um, But he's been watching TV. But uh, to me, it's like we it's especially precarious because. Yes, a nuclear armed North Korea is not ideal, but there's no if you read any foreign policy papers or any any anything out of think tanks, there's no good solution out of this. And for him to be so flippant about it, yeah. when mutually assured destruction is the one policy that's kept everyone safe for a very long time, the idea that we will destroy you if you do anything to us and first strike capabilities and all of that kind of stuff, the fact that he's playing with that balance has major geopolitical um, consequences in Asia, which in turn can bring the Russians in, obviously the Chinese. Yeah, not it's, a it's good got situation. A very comic book sensibility to it that you know you go and drop some nukes on North Korea and everything's solved. Problem solved. That, that's cr- no. You just started a gigantic chain of events that could lead to a bomb of blowing off in a major American city or more. Yeah, I mean, at, at the very least, you're talking about even if you even if you disabled North Korea's nuclear capabilities, we don't really understand how their ICBMs work. I was reading something today where they actually had a major collapse at their nuclear site of 200 people dead, uh, like tunnels collapsed and stuff like that. Like they're actually blowing up so many bombs that they're actually weakening their own <laughs> structures and stuff like that. Um, you have this situation where, at the very least, even if you disabled everything and they couldn't retaliate, retaliate, Seoul is 35 miles away from the border. You're going to talk about 
tens of thousands of people probably dead in a few minutes. Um, and then you're getting us involved. Then there's a, a refugee crisis on the northwest border of North Korea that's funneling into China. China gets involved. Russia also shares borders and has interest, interests in, in Asia, in East Asia. This isn't something that a man who doesn't understand things needs to be trifling with, you know. And uh, it's, you know, I, I would love nothing more than to have North Korea taken down a peg. Like, you how know, do but, you think he communicates with the military? I mean, how? First of all, how does he have the time to do everything he's doing? Because he doesn't. I mean, I'll answer it before I even ask it. He just no no human has the time to be the president. It's one of the problems of being president. I mean, what you were talking about earlier, how you have businesses and you run things and how complicated and difficult it is. And those things are nothing. No, nothing compared to being the president. Nothing. And he's got to deal with the economic situation. He's got to deal with the military. He's got to deal with immigration. He's trying to build a fucking wall to Mexico. He's trying to bring jobs back to America. And he's playing golf 150 times. Oh, he's played golf 72 times. Cost to taxpayer, $76,236,013 at least. <laughs> what is this website? I TrumpGolfCount.com. Oh, God. <laughs> 72 visits to golf clubs since inauguration, which confirmed golfing on at least 33 visits. God damn. See our frequently asked questions for answers to frequently asked questions and our complete data table for the list of Trump's outings. He's a, it's hilarious. No, it's. I mean, it's the most complicated and all-encompassing jobs uh, imaginable. And, yeah, and he's out golfing. Yeah, he's out. I mean, which, you got to have rest and relaxation. I don't begrudge you that, but I wonder, like, again, because of the alienation that went on through the primaries and into the campaign, when you have people that are simply not willing to work for you that are very capable, right? Um, what do you do? I don't know. I think that that's why nothing's happening. That's why when they had the healthcare thing, you know, uh, kind of crop up early in the in the administration, they weren't prepared. When right. they don't have it, they still have not really released all the details of their tax plan. They, it's like, what do you guys like? Nothing is really happen it's just that's i'm telling you joe that's the major thing that's a bummer to me is it's just a wasted time it's just wasted time we do not have time for yeah this, you know well and again i don't think anybody has enough time to actually be the president but i wonder like what conversations he's having with the military and what how those decisions get made i don't really understand the process enough to know like say if north korea does something stupid what 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 are the decisions and who who brings those decisions to the president who brings the suggestions who who lays out the possibilities? I mean, how does that go? I think the so I think as from the what I understand, the way it works is that there's a situation room in in the White House. The Joint Chiefs of Staff and the National Security Advisor meet there to discuss things. The president comes in when they're ready to to present him with things. They present him based on the branch that's dealing with it, what's happening, and then they give him you know what are reasonable responses or you know wait and see kind of things or whatever. And I think. That's how it goes down, and then he tells you know the Joint Chiefs to to act on his on his you know direction. I That's guess. a great name for a room too, the Situation Room, with Wolf Blitzer. Your right. Situation Room. Yeah, how is he calling him his own show, the Situation? Room? I don't know. He got away. He's getting That's away with it though. Fucking rude. I know. He, he's getting away with it. Wolf Blitzer's an interesting character. A lot of these guys on cable news are, are interesting people to me, especially now. How so? Well, because. There, the, the, there's always been partisans. We were talking about William F. Buckley and Corbett Al before, right. right? But there's no pretenses now about anything. Like, right. like no matter who you're watching, I don't, I couldn't even tell you a, like a person who doesn't have an ideal, an open ideological bent anymore, right. and ha, and has some sort of, um, some sort of, it's kind of like a means to an end for them to get their information out there uh, the way they want to. There's no like Walter Cronkite's anymore. You right. Know? No completely objective journalists. Yeah, which I would love. I would love yeah. that, but I don't. Tr I don't really. That's why I don't really trust anything the media says anymore. It's not yeah. only Trump. It's just like there's always an agenda. 
Yeah, there's no one who's delivering it all with a straight face. Everyone has an editorial bent to right. it. And that's fine, but I wish that it, it, when, when the only places you can really go to get straight up news now are the wires. It's kind of like a little lonely, you know, mm -hmm. go to AP and Reuters and then that's pretty much it. What about the Internet? Is anybody doing a good job of disseminating objective news on the Internet? I don't think so. Not, not anyone that I've seen. I mean, it, it seems I, like there's an opening for that if someone could figure it out. There is. But I don't. The thing is, is that the sad thing is, I don't know if there's even an audience for it. You know, like I think that people like you and I that might want a more objective stance to yeah. make up your own. You know, I remember I used to watch BBC World News on PBS in college because it was like this very outsider kind of like, you know, a 40,000 foot view of what mm -hmm. was going on. And I feel like we don't even really have that anymore. And I feel like there's the reason that those people don't exist is because there's no there's no money there. Yeah. You know? It seems like the big money's in preaching to the choir. Absolutely. And yeah. that's that's why with what I was trying to do is like uh, I, I get I take a lot of honor that I get fired on from every angle, which means that I'm doing something right. It's not like only the left wing people that don't like me. It's not only the right, right wing people that don't like me. It's like everybody, you know, has some problem with me, which makes me feel like maybe I'm somewhere in the middle. But I have an, I have an, I don't have, I don't know if I have an agenda. I guess I do, but I have a point of view. Fox know? News to me is the most fascinating of all the news networks because CNN seems almost like some. It's, uh, it's, it's just they're weighted down by rules and restrictions in a certain sense. Whereas Fox News, you got Hannity who's just fucking completely unhinged. You had Bill O'Reilly who's trying to fuck everything that moves. Right. I mean. Didn't that guy have like nine different sexual harassment lawsuits that he settled? One of them for thirty-five yeah, million. Yeah, thirty-five million dollars. What the fuck did he do? I can't imagine how much money he really has from his books and stuff. If he can even fork that much money over, you know, because that yeah. was him, right? That wasn't even Fox. I don't think. I don't even think that Bill was Fox. Bill O'Reilly files five million dollar defamation suit over harassment claims. He's <laughs> 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 trying to get some of it back. <sighs> yeah, it's it's oh, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's go, a, go back to that. Let me read the the, the text underneath it, please. Former Fox News host Bill O'Reilly on Friday filed a defamation suit against former New Jersey state legislator Michael Panter following a Facebook post on Tuesday in which Panter detailed alleged sexual harassment by O'Reilly against an unnamed ex-partner of Panter's. Huh. Wow. Panter's claims based on the conversations with his ex and incidents he said he witnessed were chilling. Panter says that his then-girlfriend's, in quotes, career was largely dependent on staying on O'Reilly's good graces. Uh, and that O'Reilly repeatedly asked her out and made sexually charged late night phone calls to her. <laughs> That's his move. He calls you up and says fucked up shit to you on the phone. What a freak. It's like, crazy, man. He must have been doing this is like, like sort of the Harvey Weinstein sort of thing. Like he must have been doing that forever. That was his thing. He would call chicks up. Yeah, what are you wearing? Yeah. I'm, I was about to call Reagan. Got him, <laughs> got him on speed dial. Come it's, over and watch me jerk off. It's 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 totally bizarre. Like the power, money, it gives you some sort of a presumed veil against it, things. It does, but it's also the Fox News thing. It's so sexually charged. Like I have a whole bit about the way the men and the women dress on Fox News, because those women dress like they're going out on a hot date. And they're talking about like important issues, right? Yeah, their little dresses and all, and yeah. and they always seem to be sitting at the edges of the table, mm -hmm. you know, so you could see their legs, right? Yeah, that's yeah. It, it, it was always very transparent to me. My 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 thought was always like, well, these are old conservative men that are watching this, and you grab them any way you can. Look I guess. at that, chaka chaka, boing boing. New, New Kingrich is feeling there, it, just <laughs> holding on to his seventy year old wood. Oh, <laughs> I wish I had enough power to stick it at any of these gals. Do you think Newt Gingrich gets some hot tail? He's got a. He young, probably did. Fairly oh, well, young he, wife. Wasn't he? Wasn't he a? Wasn't Who's he a girl an, above in the underwear? A known flanderer. Yeah, a little of this, a little of that. Sexiest ladies of Fox News, as that is. 
Yeah. It's interesting. Well, it's interesting, too, that somebody needed to talk to Megyn Kelly. Like, what the fuck was she thinking, jumping ship and going over to NBC? Yeah, she's, like, dying over there, apparently. Well, of course she's dying. You're the ice queen. You're supposed to be shouting down the liberals, mocking everybody and telling everybody that Santa Claus is white. That's your that's right. your thing. Yeah, she she's apparently like I, I I keep reading about her about how people won't book on her show. And, no, well she's um, and she's, she's bringing not, everyone down. She's not stupid, but she's pressured. And when people are under pressure, they falter. Especially if people are not used to that kind of pressure. Right. Like she's used to people liking her. Well, I always thought she was brilliant on Fox. Like the way she would communicate with people. She's very sharp, but she just seems so uncomfortable and under pressure and nervous and awkward. Like, did you see the thing with Will and Grace? Oh yeah, where they had the, that exchange of uh, with uh, Laura Messing. She asked or a guy if he became gay because he liked the oh. character. That was like, what? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and she had some other awkward. Who, what was it? there was there was a couple early on where there was a pretty awkward or like exchanges between her. I heard I, I, Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda. That's right. That's what yeah, it was. She asked Jane about Fonda surgery. about getting plastic surgery, and Jane Fonda just said, "Are we really going to go there?" And then she went and said, I like to talk about this movie. This is what I like about this movie. She basically just steamrolled her. I, I, I feel, we were talking about typecasting before, right? About how people, and I feel like she's just, she can't get away from what she was. And well, it's also like, that's a clunky, stupid thing to do to try to talk about plastic surgery when someone's promoting sure. a movie. Sure. She's just trying to get sound bites. She's like, it means calculated effort to get sound bites of the people who put up YouTube clips. Do you, do you give a lot of interviews or ever give interviews like a... Or have you had ever had bad experiences with that? Like uh, talking uh, to people? Yeah, yeah. Like no, I mean, I'm saying you being the ta- like the. I don't on do your own those show. anymore, man. Yeah, I don't do them. I don't. I feel like that's an incredibly ineffective way to communicate. I feel like you're doing yourself a massive disservice to talk for five minutes to someone that you don't even know. Right. I mean, if I wanted to talk to somebody, I want to talk to them for hours, and let's do it live so that you can't edit it. Right. Right. Fuck it. We'll do it live. <laughs> we'll. You know, I think that. Uh, if you really want to communicate ideas, that's not the way to do it. It's the way to jump off little sound clips and sound bites, and then we'll be right back. You know, da, 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 da. and you go to commercial, and it's like, this, well, what are we living in the fifties? Why? What? This is a stupid way to do. It. You guys need right. to revamp your whole system. This right. system sucks. This is a shitty way to communicate with people. Why are we even talking like this? You're sitting over there. I'm sitting over here, and we're looking at each other sideways. How come you're at a desk and I'm on a couch? Right. Like, why do you have a desk? What are you writing books? What the <laughs> fuck are you doing over there in that desk? This is the whole thing is just it's Jack Parr. You know, it's Johnny Carson. Right. It's just like this old school dumb way of conducting these interviews. What? What? You have a band. Here, well, let's let the band play us out. It's yeah, it's the not, very, it's like capital S show. You know? It's fucking dumb. I don't like it. I think the the guy who does it the best is Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, I think Jimmy Fallon does it pretty good too. Um, you know, he's got he makes it fun. He's got a lot of like fun things that he does on it. You know, Seth Meyers does a, a good job of making it fun as well, and he has some really good points, you know, on his show. But I just think ultimately I can't, ex- I could barely express myself in five minutes, seven minutes, you know, and especially in front of a crowd, you're sitting there in front of a crowd and you, you want to talk about important things or funny things or right, ah, Joey, understand that you don't like the zoo. Tell us why you don't yeah. like the zoo. Well, it's a fucking animal prison and uh, <laughs> I think it's fucked up. Well, <laughs> beep, 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 beep. You can't even say all those words, you know? Yeah. It's, I feel like there's a, th- I think that, um, People, some people have a short attention span. They don't want long things or whatever. But I think that, like a show like yours, I think fills a niche. It's not even a niche; it's a huge show, but fills this need that I think is underrated. That people like long form things. That yeah. they like depth. 
that they have lots of time to burn when they're driving around or at work and they're bored or they're just cooking food or whatever it is they're doing. I used to have that argument in my old company where we, we I was like, you guys are just wrong when, when, you know, make the show three or four or five minutes long. I'm like, no, it'll be as long as I want it to be right. it, it, for me to get my, my word out. And I was right about that. And, and I feel like, so I like the long form stuff. I like for things to be as long as they need to be, you know, right. um, and to flesh things out and to not corner people, to let them express them and explain themselves and stuff like that. I think it's good. That's why your show is so popular, you know, and I'm, I'm, and I'm not, you know, I'm surprised that people aren't kind of more, more and more and more aping the idea of doing, going three, four, five hours if necessary with people, you know, some people don't want to do it. You know, I'm, I'm a uniquely blabbermouth type person. I can just keep talking about things forever. And also I'm not connected to something else where I have to worry about what I say. You know, like I can't get fired if I'm the boss. I'm my own boss. You know, so a lot of people don't, they're not in that position, you know, and they, they really worry about putting their foot in their mouth, which I've definitely done a ton of times, and that that being the end of their career instead of it being what it is, just a mistake. Right. You know, and, and I think for people to really get a sense of who you truly are, they, they, you know, you get a sense of who someone is over three hours. You really get a sense of who someone is over three hours, over a thousand two hundred podcasts, whatever the fuck we've done. What are we on? Thousand twenty or something like that. One thousand thirty-two, plus fight companions. <laughs> a lot of fucking shows. People get a sense of who you are. You know, it's um, it's just different. It's a different kind of thing. It, you know, a, a television show is a more polished, edited. It might be better for your attention span. I mean, if this was on TV, just regular TV, maybe it would be a bomb. You know, maybe it, like, uniquely fits into the weirdness that is the internet. And that's why it's been successful. And also, I think it's probably been successful because it was never, there was never any attempt at it being successful. You know, it was, it was never like something I, where I sat out and go, if I just do this a certain way, it will be financially viable it'll be received well and it'll, i'll use this as a vehicle to further my other endeavors there's never any thought process right. like that it's like hey it'd be cool to just talk to people hey you think i can get anthony bourdain to come over my house yeah look he's, he's sitting right there let's give him some beers let's have talks you know and and that's where it all came from you know it just came organically yeah that's that's the beauty of it and i think that i think that shines through with your show and, and some other people that, like you can tell when someone's putting it on yeah. When someone, I mean, I can. I'm I sure. I'm so. sure you can. Well, you, you think you like to hope you can. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, Bill Cosby. Yeah, who? Yeah, he probably, probably would have fooled both of us. Maybe, maybe but, not though. Yeah, who knows? Maybe I never not. Maybe you no. Know, and he never had. That's part of the thing. Like he might have fooled both of us if he was on the Tonight Show, but if he was sitting across the room for us for three hours just talking shit, you know, maybe not. You know, we, you never really got to see that. Right. You must have. I mean, over doing a thousand episodes, many hundreds of guests, you must. You must learn uh, a lot, uh, like you were saying, a lot about a person. But th does your opinion of the, of the person change when you have some interesting interviews with with bigger people, for instance, that that come on your show, better or, or worse? Like after kind of poking and prodding them for a little while. Yeah, well, you d I think you date a chunk, right? Whenever you're talking to people, and you you see sort of some sort of patterns and deflection and communication and openness, and some people really impress you with their honesty or with their thoughtfulness or objectivity. Objectivity is a rare one, man. That's a particularly rare thing where so many people are so married to their ideas, and I try very hard not to be. I'm certainly not perfect at it, but I try very hard to not be married to my ideas. And if I'm wrong, I really go out of my way to say, wow, I was definitely wrong about that. Like, I thought that was this, but it's not. It's that. And this is, this is how we know, and here's the proof now, and here's the studies that have come out. Wow, fucking that threw me for a loop. Like, you, have to, you have to do that. Yeah, absolutely. But 
there are so many people that do not want to ever admit fault. And because of that, because you don't want to admit fault and because you, you don't want to admit that you might have communicated an error or you might have been misled by certain information that you thought was true but turned out to not be, um, it ruins the way people appreciate your words. Because you could tell me that you believe um, you know something happened in the past because you read it, because you learned it in school, because it's always been taught that way, but then new information comes out that clearly refutes that you got to come in here and say, well, now I know different. You know, but I thought this. Because I know that you really did think that. I know, I know you were really being honest. And now I know you're being even more honest because you're saying now we know differently. That now we know differently is fucking giant, man. It's huge. And you see it resi resisted. You see it resisted in academia. You see it resist because people have been teaching certain things for a certain amount of time and then new evidence comes to light and they don't want to consider it. You see it re resisted at all. Like I had a conversation once on the radio with this lady who called up and she was, uh, she was telling me that she was a paleontologist. What, who studies monkeys? The biologist? Would, would it be a biologist? Like a, like, yeah, like some sort of... Some sort of a biologist. Yeah. And she said, you know, I have my PhD because I was talking about the uh, Bondo ape, which is a, a, a very particularly large species in the Congo. And I was going over all these different things about this ape. And it was on the Opie and Anthony show. And this lady called up and she goes, you are just talking about pseudoscience and cryptozoology. You don't know where you're talking about. And I go, no, I'm, I'm reciting an article that was in National Geographic. This is all new information. And I go, you know, you're, she, she said she was a professor. And I go, when did you study? When did you learn? I go, how, how, how much time do you spend paying attention to the newest, latest information? Because clearly you're wrong. They have, they have skulls. They have videos of these animals. They have photographs of them. They have camera trap photos. They have DNA on them. They have a crest in their head like a gorilla. And I, when I get obsessed with things, I have an ability to rattle off information. I started rattle off information on this lady. And she never says, no, you're wrong. I mean, she never says, you know, well, I guess I was wrong. Um, I, I'm going on old information. She starts laughing and mocking me. I go, are you better than these scientists that are in National Geographic that are putting out these photographs that are spending years in the Congo? Carl Amon, the Swiss wildlife photographer, that spent years in the Congo photographing these creatures. They nest on the ground like gorillas. They're a particularly large species of chimpanzee. They're enormous. So I started rattling off information. And the lady's like, you know, like, you don't know what you're talking about. I go, you're not fucking saying anything. You're not saying anything because you know you don't have the latest information. That kind of shit drives me nuts when someone doesn't really know but pretends they know right. and is presented with information and isn't willing to accept it. You know, you got to be willing to accept information. Like this lady called up to try to like to, to puff out her chest like she has the information like she's a she's a, a professor like she knows. But I'm not saying I'm not in the, the woods studying. I'm reading all these fucking biologists who are. There, there, this is amazing new discovery. I mean, there's a fucking giant chimp that lives in the Congo. There's photos of this thing walking around on two legs. It's six feet tall. I mean, this is a huge chimpanzee. It's far bigger than any other chimps. They have two different types of chimps. They have uh, tree, they, tre they call them tree beaters and, and ground something. I forget the, 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 the term they use. But these larger chimps literally sleep on the ground. They don't give a fuck. Nothing comes near them. And the, oh, they call them, what do they call them, leopard eaters? 
but they they have video of them one of them literally eating a leopard and they don't know if it killed it they don't know if it found it dead but like if these motherfuckers can kill leopards but if you think about how strong a regular chimpanzee is you know, a regular 150-pound ch- chimpanzee is supposed to be as strong as a 500-pound man. Uh, lion killers, that's what they call them. These, these are huge chimpanzees. P- see if you can pull up a photograph of some of these fuckers. But they have this one that these two got shot at, a, um, at an airport, at a small airport in, in the Congo. And there's these two guys standing holding this carcass. The, uh, right-hand side, third down. Far right-hand side, third down. Far right-hand side, third down. Third down. That's it. Bam. That's it. Go large on that. Look at the size of that fucking thing. That's a chimp. It looks like a goddamn gorilla. He's a big boy. Look at the size of his balls. (laughs) I mean, that is a fucking huge chimpanzee. That's one that they found that that they had shot. They took photographs of. But if you go above that photo, Jamie, go above that photo to the the upper right-hand corner, that's one that they caught walking around on a, on a camera chap. They're just much, much bigger than regular chimpanzees. That's wild. Yeah, it's, no it's pun incredible. Intended. But the point was, this is just, it was an incidence of someone just deciding that they had all the information and that they wanted to just call bullshit on something that they really, they really weren't, weren't up to date on it yet. Yeah, I think pride gets in the way a lot of that. I, I try my hardest, and I, it actually kind of gets to me when my audience or people that watch my stuff say, like, oh, Colin didn't admit he was wrong about this, this, or this. I'm like, I don't know that you're paying very close attention, because I actually take a lot of pride in being wrong about things sometimes and telling you that I'm wrong, so you know. So you're not yeah. going out into the world with misinformation, whether it was about video games back in the day, whether it's about politics or history, I get, I get, when you're rattling things off, like you were saying, like when you're rattling things off, sometimes you get things mixed up and confused. Oh, for sure, I fuck and, things up. Like uh, I don't even realize that while I'm saying it, that I'm saying the wrong word or yeah, someone's name wrong. It happens, and yeah. and I, I think that it's, I think it's essential to, to do those kinds of things, and it it it's a, it, it represents an academic stagnance when you don't want to do that. I yeah. I certainly. Um, even though I consider myself again a moderate conservative, I certainly have been playing around intentionally with really challenging ideas lately to try to, um, you know, specifically with the universal basic income and and Medicare for all. Where I'm like, I'm fundamentally, principally, probably against these things. But if you can show me how they work, if you can, if I can read some data, we can get some test cases. I know they're testing UBI in places like Sweden. Yeah. Then I, I want to see what it's all about because this is so uncomfortable. This is so out of my, out of whack for me that I want to know, you know, uh, how it works. And I I'm think, with you on that one, by the way. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's an interesting one. And I believe they're testing it in some some place in the United States. Are they? Yeah, I think somewhere in the United States going to test universal basic income. See if I can find that. But this is like fairly recent, like over the last few days. It's it's a fa- it's just fascinating to kind of get out of your, you know, I, I've been dealing with this idea of uh, this idea of rights versus privileges and how we're, we, we, we call a lot of things rights, but they're not rights. There's no uh-huh. right to medic- the medical care. There's no right to that. Right. But the idea of, uh, and I hate when people are like, it's a, it's a right to, to it's, you're not. Basic not, human right. Yeah, it's not. It, well, you have a right to, you're an alienable rights of life and liberty and stuff like that. Those are rights. You don't have a right to force someone to do something for you. Exactly. Which is essentially what you're forcing a doctor to work on you if you don't have the money to pay for it exactly but But i think as a culture we should probably put that in terms of like what are we going to do for our citizens well we're definitely going to have provide fire uh protection we're definitely going to provide police we should definitely provide medical too i just think it's it, it should be there should be a safety net to keep people healthy if they don't have money. Sure, I think that it's it's a totally valid thing to say. Uh, oh, what do we have here? here? It is. Where is this? Um, 
They've randomly selected 3,000 individuals across two U.S. states to participate in the study. 1,000 receive $1,000 per month for up to five years, and 2,000 will receive $50 per month. Hmm, what is that? And th- it's the control right. for, the, for the experiment. To serve as a control group for comparison. What the $50 per month is not going to help shit. Um, but the thousand dollars per month that that's that gets interesting because then you're not giving anybody enough where they can fuck off because 250 bucks is really not even going to pay for rent and food right. but it's uh, it'll help you give you like a little bit of a boost yeah it could be good for the economy I think that there's there's uh, a lot of worry about inflation uh, because you're basically freeing up a ton of money that would otherwise be in banks or not circulating around the market so it's gonna make your dollar less valuable I, I think there's a lot of like complicated things economically that people have to deal with with that but I, I feel like you know, with what you were talking about with healthcare, I think it's an interesting point because we we don't we talk too much about rights, yeah. and we have these rights. You have a right to not be searched without a warrant. You have a right to free due speech. process and free speech. Those are rights, yeah. right, um, that are written in a, in the Bill of Rights in the Constitution. But but privileges, a 21st century modern progressive wealthy society. What can your privileges of being part of that society be? And I, I like when people talk about it in that sense and be like, medical care is a part of a is the privilege. Of being part of a society like this, I'm like, okay, so let's frame the art. Let's frame the arguments differently because I think it's a more compelling way to say we've achieved so much. We're not in the dark ages anymore. We're not even in the 18th or 19th centuries anymore. Now we have roads, we have police and fire, we have all these things. What's to stop us from having the privilege of having this as well? And I think it's just just frame it that way, and you'll have w- way more people on board. And it's a know? very compelling argument for why we shouldn't spend 800 billion dollars on the military. Like maybe if you had some of that money freed up, you could take care of a lot of things at home. You could uh, uh, medical care. Medicare for all is expensive. It's extremely yes, expensive. Extremely. You could you could actually, as far as I understand, you could, I think tax, or I'm sorry, you could remove military spending completely and pay for only like a fourth of it. So it's 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 wow. a, it's a it's a really radically really yeah I think so eight hundred billion dollars a year would only pay for a fourth. I think it's six hundred billion a year spending right military spending right now, but I think it's it's. Uh, Jamie, do you mind? I hate to tell, ask you to do something, but do you mind looking to see how much the Medicare for All thing costs? I think it's something like 1.5 trillion a year, or something like that, or, or two trillion a year, or something like that. Holy shit! And so, like, these are things, but you have to have rational conversations. Why I have no respect for Bernie Sanders because you can just throw things out there. Bernie yeah, Sanders. Point, yeah, 1.4 trillion dollars. So you could Sanders you could literally last Medicare for All plan cost nearly 1.4 trillion. So I'm a little off. So it's a little less than half. You, so you could. Um, <laughs> he's he's a character. Well, it's easy to it's easy to go around <laughs> promising things to people. Like like the the funny thing is like free college, right? Like free nothing's free, but free college. It's like well, your four hundred one k is going to get taxed for that. If you're if you're a middle class family and you're making transaction Wall Street transactions, uh, broker transactions with your four hundred one k, you're going to pay that tax. You know, it's easy to say Medicare for all by raising taxes, but everyone's taxes go up two point two percent. You know, not well, I think there's also a real concern with kids fucking off with that education. Like if, a, if an education costs like what is um, a per year cost of a very good university today? Oh, not even like an Ivy League university, but probably twenty, twenty five thousand dollars a year. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Right? So if you're just giving that to some kid and they half ass their education and they don't get kicked out of school and it's free, like, well, hmm. Maybe that's not the best use of money. But no. if someone can demonstrate a real desire to learn. You know, and a real desire to achieve and to discipline themselves and to following through with the courses and doing the work. You maybe then maybe give someone a semester for free and prove by their performance in that semester, you know, by their effort, their performance, how much work they've done that, you know, okay, you it's very likely 
that you can get through four years of this university and um, get out with a bachelor's degree, maybe even move on and continue your education or become a really valuable member of our society and benefit our economy and benefit our, our civilization because of what you're learning here. So making an investment in you. I mean, that, that, I think that's, that's a valuable thing for our country, right? Have more educated, less ignorant people, have less losers, right? Yeah, I, I think, to me, I, I, and I say this, I guess, from a place of some privilege, because I went to college, I went to a great college, and I, I'm, I'm proud of that, but at the same time, I feel like it's, it's too, why don't we emphasize trade schools anymore? Why don't we emphasize that you don't have to go to college, you can be an entrepreneur, you can start a business. You can, right. I feel like it's, all, it's often too, it's too much focused on like an academic path. And I'm like, that's good for some people. But I would argue that there's probably too many people going to college, especially for things that we were talking about earlier on that don't really do anything for you. If you have a chemistry degree or a physics degree or a math degree, you're going to be great. If you have a history degree like I did, you have to be very lucky like I was, or you you might have some hard times, you know? Or you find something else to do. You exactly. Know, you benefit just from the discipline that you learned while you were in school. Right, exactly. It's, it's, it's proof that you can accomplish something. But I, I wish that there was more drive to say like, we need plumbers. We need yes. electricians. Yes. We need, and, and you know what? I, I two things. Some of the stupidest people I've ever met went to college. Some of the smartest <laughs> people I ever met didn't go to college. And some of the people that I know that are doing be the best economically are in trades, not in, yeah. they, and they don't have a degree. They're electricians. They they build houses. They do those kinds Auto of things. Repair. Exactly. Yeah. These are essential, and these things aren't going away right. either. So it's a, it, I feel like, you know, I look at someone like a mechanic. I look at a plumber or something like that. I'm like, man, that's really impressive because. I don't know what the hell you're doing, you know, mm -hmm. but you, you, you know how to wire this house. You know how to, to lay the plumbing. You know how to do all these kinds of things. That's a vital sure, a carpenters. service. And so, exactly. So I, I feel like there's almost this like, got to go to college, got to go to college. And I'm like, no, you don't. And, and the other thing that I think is really relevant is that I paid for my college and now suddenly, and I'm paying loans out the ass for my college degree still. And I have to now pay for someone else's college. Like, and that I, I did what I had to do, and I don't really feel like it's fair that I had to owe sixty or seventy thousand dollars in in loans that I've paid back. But someone, and then I have to pay taxes, extra taxes for someone else to go to college as well. It kind of frustrates me, and specifically because the the only reason college is so expensive is because the government is involved in the loans. Right. You know, subsidizing. The, yeah, they subsidize the loans. Anyone can get a loan. If you if you ran a college and you knew that anyone that came to you could just go get a Stafford loan, right? You would jack prices up in two seconds. Of course you would. Make the loans more uh, more rare. And even raise interest rates on those loans and watch what happens to the cost of college. It, it will plummet because they can't justify the cost anymore. The government made this problem. Now the mm. government's trying to, and this is what I'm talking about, the government's now trying to solve a problem it, ma it totally manufactured on its own. When you did know? that all begin? I don't know. I, think, I, I, I don't know for sure. I think in the 70s it, it began, and then I think it really got out of control in the 90s. You know, because I went to Northeastern, and my mom actually uh, uh, worked there, so I didn't even pay tuition. I only paid room and board. Tuition at Northeastern is like forty-five thousand dollars or something a year. Oof. You know, now I know people that went to college that had to pay out, ha have those loans strapped to them. If you have two kids in college, holy shit! It's incredible. Like, holy it, it, shit! And dude, I don't, I don't know what I was. You know, when you're seventeen or eighteen years old, I remember my dad. Uh, my dad's a very, my dad's a New York City firefighter, very you know serious guy, right? And I remember him sitting down and being like, "I'm taking these loans out for you. I'm I'm co-signing on them." And and him kind of looking at me in the eye and being like, "You will not default on these loans." You know, like he, yeah. I, he's like, "I know you don't understand anything." Ferocious. This. Yeah, like being like because you're 17 or 18 years old, being like, yeah, "I don't, right. I don't know what the fuck it's going." I'm going to college. I'm gonna you know right. I'm gonna you know do whatever I'm gonna do. Look at that. 
Woo-wee. Yeah, so in the, it really got out of control. What is that, 80s? Yeah, so like in the mid, early to mid-80s is when it got out of control. Yeah, and then in the 90s, the, the, spike, sep- the separation. Look at it now, look at, well, it goes to 2009, but in 2009, it's just through the fucking roof. It's just, th- so the government, the government did this, and now they're trying to solve, now Bernie Sanders is running around trying to solve the problem. It's like, Bernie Sanders! <laughs> And and speaking of age and stuff like the Democrat, he's absolutely going to try to run again. And is we're going to, I think so. He's so old. And his he'll neck, be 80. His, his head is leaning forward. Like someone's got to teach him to stand up straight. Yeah. He's got, he's just got that bookish kind of, you know. But he's got this thing going on where his head is like slowly making its way down to his sternum. You know, like. Yeah, he's collapsing like an accordion. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like Bernie, this is really bad for you. Hey, dude, that's the thing. That's my look. Uh, he would have won. Um, I think if uh, he went up against Trump, I think he would have done much better than Hillary. It's a brand of populism that would have been. So I think something like 10 percent of people that voted for him in the primary voted for Trump. So that's a compelling number yeah. that suggests what you say is right. But my whole my, the X factor in this is the oppo research. And you got a little bit of taste the of what research uh, it's oppo, oppo opposition research that they okay. never used on Bernie Sanders because they didn't uh, have to. And the Republicans have all sorts of stuff on him. And it's not even it's not, he went, you know, like little things that resonate with older people. Right. So like they went him and Jane Sanders went on their honeymoon to the Soviet Union. It's weird. Ooh, That's really weird. Right. Fucking Russians. People that are 20 or 25 don't care about that. People that are 40, 45, 50 care a lot about that. Right. Yeah. Because um, he went to a communist country to explore the great benefits of the fucking red flag. Yeah. Th- which, of which there are none. Um, just like Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> well, they have cool domes in their building. Very unique building. Yeah, good in architecture. Moscow. Yeah. I keep asking people though because everyone, you know, you have these crazy people on Twitter and stuff that have the hammer and sickle yeah. and their names and stuff like that. And I'm like, can anyone tell me one thing that the Soviet Union gave us? Like, gave yeah. the world just one thing that Potatoes. like that anyone that anyone cares about? Vodka. Yeah, but that's Russian. That's not even Soviet, right? Oh, like, right. Tetris came from the Soviet Union. Did it? The game? Yeah. Well, that might be the most important thing. Good goddamn game. Communism is so morally and intellectually bankrupt. It's incredible to me that anyone would even argue it. You know, it's, well, it's just as morally and intellectually bankrupt as the far right. You know? But it seems to be the thing that people go to when they look at some sort of a viable alternative without looking into it deeply. Marxism, you know? And that this idea of socialism is going to be a good thing because everybody's going to contribute and capitalism is what's wrong with the world. And like... Ooh, and whenever people, they, they always like to hit up this fucking thing of, you know, uh, the, the, the economic inequality, economic inequality, inequality of income, inequality of money. But what people don't seem to get is that when you have true freedom, you're absolutely going to have inequality. Because if you have the true freedom to do whatever you want, some people aren't going to do much and some people are going to do a lot. There's going to be some Jeff Bezos types characters out there who just want to fucking go gangbusters and own half the country. And then there's going to be people that would really rather just work a little bit and then go play fucking disc golf and smoke pot and listen to records and hang out with their friends. And they'd be very happy if just they just made an income that was sustainable. There's, there's a fucking host of different personalities. There's some people that really enjoy doing art. And they like to go down to a fucking farmer's market and, and set up shop and sell their artwork. And that's fine for them. They, that's what they want to do. That's how they want to live their life. And maybe their dad was a fucking doctor who died at 55 of a heart attack because he was working too hard. Or, you know, who knows what it is that causes someone to have the ambition or the desires that they have. But when you have true freedom to pursue whatever you want, that literally breeds inequality. Because there are going to be people that decide to do more. 
And there's going to be people, and whether it's uh, an egalitarian version of this, whether these people are altruistic in their approach, whether they're, uh, they, they, they donate an incredible amount to charity, or whether or not they keep it all to themselves. If you have real freedom, like that doesn't say you have to donate X amount of your money to this and Y amount of your money to that. If you just give people freedom, you're going to have inequality. Because people are unequal in their efforts. They're unequal in their desires. They're unequal in their focus. They're unequal in their discipline. You're, and they're unequal in their capabilities. Yep. You Th know, that's the major thing. It's right? a big one, man. That people don't want to talk about anymore. I often... Yes. I asked... <laughs> it's kind of a rough thing to say, but I've had conversations with people where I'm like, when did people stop saying like, wow, that kid's just dumb? It's like, you know what I mean? Like, like, like I, I remember even growing up in the 80s and early 90s where like, it's like, there's some dumb, you know, like, there's nothing wrong with them. Yeah. They don't, you know, they don't have a disability or anything like that. But it's just like, this kid doesn't really have the capability of going, he's going to do something else with his life. Now it's like, everyone can do anything at any given time. And I'm like, no, you work, you have some innate quality to you, but you work, you study, you, you toil, you do those kinds of things. Not everything yeah. is, is delivered on a platter to everyone. And I, re I, I almost resent that, you know, because some people really work very hard. And some people don't work hard at all. And then, like you're saying, the outcome should be equal. I don't yeah. think so. There's some people that are tall. There's some people that are short. And there's some people that have brains that are made out of dog shit. And there's not much you can do about that. There is absolutely a broad spectrum of human intelligence, of awareness. And, you know, how much of that is the environment they grew up in? How much of that is their education? How much of that is their raw genetics? Who knows? And there's environmental factors that fuck people up, right? Like this, this is real arguments that living around toxic waste is very damaging to your IQ. You know, there's, there's a lot going on with human beings. Right. And it's, it's not fair. But here, when you play cards, okay, if you get four aces and I get one, two, and a bunch of fucking random numbers, that's not fair either. But I have to figure out a way to win with this hand, you know, or get by. And if, if, if it truly is a competition and you got a shitty hand, you got to do your best. Do your best with the hand you got. You know, if you are a dwarf and you want to be a basketball player, you're going to have to let that go. You can't do that. You know what else you can't do? You can't fly. You can't breathe underwater. You can't see through walls. You know, you can't run a million miles an hour. Okay, those are the things you can't do. So let's let's figure out what you can do and find something that you can be passionate about. Right, and, and I think capitalism as an economic system is the only one that accom that accommodates all yes, this. Yes, right. And I exactly. I, I, it, it it's it's such a trite thing, but it's like it's the least imperfect of all the systems, right? Like, right. there's nothing positive about something like communism to me. I think, like, whenever I see that hammer and sickle, and I don't mean this to be me, whenever I see that hammer and sickle on a person's name, I'm like, I'm not really dealing with someone with a full deck, I don't think. Like, I, I don't know how you can possibly, like, read Marx and do all these kinds of things, jump deep into history, look at the Soviet Union, look at North Korea, look at Cuba, look at all of the failure that's happened all around you. Then look at the fact that everyone is benefiting from capitalism hey, in man, some way. They're just doing it wrong. Yeah, it's not real communism. It's not real socialism. But that's always that's capitalism. always the answer. I mean, real capitalism. The worst aspects of capitalism are uh, the diminishing appreciation for the human being and the fact that money is a power over everything and that people just acquire material goods and all those things are true. But they're, they're true at the farthest end of the spectrum of, you know, good to bad, right? The furthest end of, like, what is the damage that capitalism can do? Well, it can, you can devalue human life to the point where money becomes more, pow more powerful than anything, and people can consolidate this money and build these 
oligarchical family structures and, you know, there's a lot of issues that can happen. But that can happen with anything where people have leverage and power over other people. It doesn't necessarily mean they have to happen that way. There's, there's got to be some evidence and some instant instances of altruistic um, uh, capitalism, like Bill Gates, for instance. That guy does a lot of really good things, you know, and his the Bill Gates Foundation that he he uh, has started up. I mean, goddamn, he's donated a shitload of money. To Half schools. of his money will go to, yeah. to charity. I mean, that's a good example. Another good example is Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett is, I believe, donating almost all of his money to charities. I mean, and these are guys that are wildly successful. I mean, you're talking billions and billions of dollars in wealth attained entirely through capitalism. Like, so you have your bad examples, but you also have good examples. I mean, what Bill Gates has done, I mean, really incredibly impressive when you stop and think about it. Yeah, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, whatever they call it, is like super mm -hmm. influential. Uh, I, I, I look at it in the sense of, yes, there are negatives about all of these things, sure. like you were saying, but I also feel like are you eating today in half the world? Because that's because of capitalism. Are you, you know, like capitalism, the industrial revolution that, that got, you know, that got everything going in the last 150 years is all because of the necessity of, of the, the chase of the dollar or the pound or whatever the case might be. Like the, the chase for money is not in, in itself a negative thing. It's, it's like you're saying, what you do with it and the ramifications of what we get because of money, you know, mm -hmm. is an amazing thing. I often talk about um, whether it's good or bad is, you know, when Apple won, the Apple One computer was being made in the mid 70s. Um, you know, Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs used to go to this thing called Homebrew Computer Club in Berkeley. And people would go there. There was this real spirit in the 70s amongst tinkerers that they would share their stuff with each other, that they would be like, this is how I did this. This is how I programmed this very rudimentary punch card machine. This is, And they were going with Apple One to this thing. And uh, Wozniak had really wanted to give it away, to be like, this revolutionary computer that we are sitting on here, we're just going to give you the tools to make your own. And Steve Jobs was the one that said like, we have something here that can become more ubiquitous if we make it into a product that we sell, as opposed to something that stays within the confines of the Berkeley Homebrew Computer Club, where 15 people will enjoy it. We can market this bad boy. And so it takes sometimes a person with- the, the number it costs. Yeah, that ominous, $666.66. Huh? 66 4K of RAMs, of RAM rather, that's amazing. 4K, that's amazing. Um, so you know what I'm saying? Like it takes yeah. sometimes for things to proliferate, sometimes for things to do good. Mm -hmm. There has to be a profit motive and sometimes you need a Steve Jobs who didn't have the intellect that Wozniak had on a programming perspective, right. but saw products for what they were, went into Xerox, saw the GUI, saw the mouse, mm -hmm. saw the Ethernet cable, knew what to do with these different things. That's the beauty of capitalism to me. You know? Yeah, that that's there's an incentive for him to pursue these goals. Exactly, and we all benefit. Yeah. Look at the yeah. fuck, look at our smartphones. Yeah. 10 years ago, we had no idea what these things were gonna become. Right. And look at the economy they opened up. 10 years ago, you were psyched if your phone flipped open. Yeah, it was all, yeah, you could do that thing with the wrist where you'd open without you. Yeah, Kirk out, slap it shut. Do you remember the Matrix phone when it came out like it, it shot open and like no one could ever get one and now I feel like a lot of people wanted one do you remember no. that at all what's the matrix phone the, when the matrix came out the first the first one yeah. they all had a cell phone it was made by Sony and the bottom of it shot out instead of flipping open you like hit a little button and it's like you check it out I'll show really? it to you, like and it never was released for like uh, consumer use <gasps> Why not? Capitalism wasn't ready. Late capitalism wasn't ready for that phone. Bernie Sanders would <laughs> release it for free for everybody. <laughs> I think he's a unique character because he's an anti-establishment character. He's interesting. Well, that goes back to the point you were making. That's why he came up is because yeah. you said he could maybe be Trump. I think the shared populist message Here it is. could be might a reason have, why that happened. A version of it might have finally came out, I guess. But um, How does it work? 
I'm confused. The, this well, shot out, and it's it just covered up the thing instead of flipping open. Oh, it, like you press a button and it slides down? Yeah, I mean, that's, when they were running and, like, Trinity was running, she would just do it, and they were like, we need an operator. And oh, that's hilarious. Isn't it crazy that we thought that was the shit? It's not even that long ago. That's what's so funny about it, you know? Yeah. Like, well, I had a black bear. I thought it was a wizard. <laughs> Those I things had, were super technological, too. I had a Blackberry. Is that it? I mean, it slides open. Oh, it has a screen on the bottom. Yeah, Isn't that funny? That they never thought you would ever be able to type on a screen. Like, that's just ridiculous. Get the fuck out of here with that. You need buttons, man. This one. Remember that? <laughs> I had one of them bitches. I had one of those with the keyboard. I loved that thing. It's great. It sent emails. I never did, but you could. But you could. Yeah. You now, could if you wanted to. I send half my emails on my phone now. Yeah. I mean, it's, but think about, like, I, I love thinking about the, the iPhone and just the smartphone revolution and mm -hmm. then all of the businesses that are totally based on that thing now Uber, you know, uh, Lyft, all of these companies that, that only exist because that product existed only because someone saw the capital investment necessary to proliferate this thing. Okay. And I think it's amazing. It is. It is. And communism you know, doesn't give you that exactly. Communism gives you famine. Capitalism uh, is responsible for this intense competition in these cap in these smartphones now, where there are legitimate contenders to Apple now. Like Apple just released the iPhone 10 or the X, whatever the fuck they're going to call it. But you have legitimate contenders in the Samsung Galaxy Note 8, the Galaxy S8, and the Google Pixel 2 XL. You have like these three phones that. A lot of people compare favorably to the iPhone. They're going back and forth with this, and it's like it's a neck-and-neck -neck race. Now, it's a matter of whether or not the integration with the operating system is important to you because a lot of people enjoy uh, using a Mac and an Apple computer, and you know they want to have the phone seamlessly integrate with the computer. And then a lot of other people use Windows, and they prefer to use an Android phone because of that. So it's... You're, you're dealing with massive competition now, which is fueling Apple to innovate, fueling Samsung to innovate. I mean, right now it's just phones, and you know who knows whether or not it's really important to us, but that could lead to bigger and better things. No one saw the smartphone coming, and that's really revolutionized the way we exchange information, the way we gather information. Google's new Pixel XL, you, you squeeze the side and ask it a question. Like, that's how quick the assistant comes yeah, in. Yeah, that's wild. So you squeeze the side, and you say, uh, tell me who Colin Moriarty is. Bam. It shows you instantaneously. He's a sexist. He's a pig. <laughs> he made a joke, and he should die. What is that, Jamie? Foldable screens that are headed out probably in the next couple of years. That's in the next thing. What the fuck, man? It's crazy. This Maybe is beautiful. It's it's a beautiful like thing. Slap wrist thing where you're talking about with yeah. the the fucking tape measures. And as you know, Korean company LG is doing this for altruistic reasons. They're not doing it to make any money. They don't see any money in the foldable screen. They're doing it to support Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Yeah, he's going to support his neck with one of those phones. He's going to get with them bitches. Just shove it under to keep his head above. When I get a phone call, I look down. He, I think uh, we're in a, an incredible time when it comes to this competition, though. And it, you're right. That, that only exists if people have profit. Yep. It only exists if people have some sort of a... There's competition and there's an incentive and, you know, there's a, there's a battle going on between these. And I think that's the forefront of it because with laptops, I mean, there's competition, but boy, it's kind of stagnant. You know, it's like, okay, well, how much processing power do you need if you're not rendering video games, if you're not making things, if you're not making movies? If you're a person that's uh, making CGI or films or something like that, well, that, then it makes sense. You, you could probably use the faster processors and all the power and stuff like that, but... 
really the competition is in video games and in or in uh, video and apps and right. phones and, and the images these phones can create and all of them now have the ability to do portrait mode where they they blur the background and and bring you into the foreground and then um, the Google Pixel XL has some incredible AI for altering images and making them look cooler and Really amazing stuff, man. Yeah, it's awesome. And I, I feel like a lot of the cool stuff that we even dwell on from back in the day, everything had a profit motive. Back in, yeah. you know, especially like the, we were talking about the age of exploration. Like they weren't looking, they didn't want to come here. The Europeans were just looking for a way to shorten their trade route to Asia. They yeah. didn't care about what was in between. It was actually super inconvenient that we were here. You know, like there was always money at the end of the tunnel for like good things. That's why, that's what the space race, that why the space race is so unique because it had no. You know, like uh, everything from like Mercury and Gemini through the Apollo missions had like no real reason to exist other than that we wanted to best the communists. There was no financial reason to do it, which is why it's so unique. And and I I would even argue to this day like there's technology that NASA's created that we find in in, in our everyday lives, but it's like one of those unique places where that's not really true. But there's yeah. also argument right that subsistence living probably makes healthier, happier people, and that all this chasing money and chasing innovation and chasing you know, technological superiority just leaves us with this hollow feeling or it doesn't do you any good. Like you're seeing a lot of these people that there was this guy that we uh, were talking about recently, the guy who he coded Facebook likes and now he, uh, your computer is trying to hijack your brain, I think is the name of the article. Your smartphone is trying to hijack your brain. And what he was essentially saying is that your brain is not designed to deal with the reward system that's involved in checking likes on Facebook or Instagram or stuff like that. And that these things, these, this constant, like um, um, I, I, uh, yesterday we were talking about this. We were talking about, uh, um, I had Jamie Kilstein on. He was talking about checking his phone, like constantly checking Twitter on his phone and arguing back and forth with people, seeing who's supporting him and who's not. And that it becomes this like massive addictive thing. And that how unhealthy that is, you know? It's like there's a lot of things about this technological world that we live in that maybe aren't sustainable or aren't compatible with being a biological human being. I agree. It's it's uh, there, it, <laughs> I hate to mention it again, but there's a episode of Black Mirror where there's this one person in this cast where they refuse to get this, imp this augment that everyone else has. I won't ruin it for you anymore. And it makes them this unique thing because they refuse to partake mm. in the new normal of interconnectivity. Ooh. And uh, it's, it's an... It, it's, Again, it goes back to the beauty of the system that there is choice. Like you were saying, the bohemian painter that just wants to make yeah. fifteen thousand dollars a year selling some art—that's the beauty of choice. Yeah, exactly. And and as long as the system gives you that choice to succeed or fail, and no one else is responsible for you, like in 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 base ways. And I'm not saying we're not responsible to bring you to the hospital if you're sick. I'm not saying any of that. But we're not responsible to make decisions for you. We're not responsible to line your pockets with money you did not earn. Right. And then that's, then that's 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 fine with me. That's also one of the awful things about communism that people very rarely discuss. You're assigned a job. You're assigned what you do if you live in Cuba. I mean, there's very little wiggle room as to what you can and can't do if you were living in the communist Soviet Union. There's very little, you don't, you don't have a whole lot of decision-making capabilities. And that's just not how human beings operate at their best. We operate at our best when we're free. When you, you are uniquely you. You're not me. I'm not you. I don't, I don't know how your brain works. And there's people out there like, uh, I don't know, here's an example, Beck that are so weird and so different from me, but he's capable of creating weird fucking funky music because he's so different, because he's so interesting. Right. Like his form of, Marilyn Manson, his form of creativity just doesn't work. My brain doesn't make that. You know, like a tomato tree doesn't make mangoes, you know? And 
we're, we're our, the freedom to express yourself in your own unique way and the freedom to live your life with your own unique direction. That's just one of the, the greatest things about being an American is that we have more freedom in that regard than anyone that's ever lived because we have more access to things, we have more access to information, and we have more freedom to choose, to express yourself, to speak out, and anything that gets in the way from that, including the limiting free speech on campuses, is fucking dangerous in that regard because it, you, don't, you think you're helping, but you're, you're limiting freedom. You're limiting freedom because it doesn't jive with what's going on in your head. And that's just not the way it's supposed to work. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I, I find what's happening on college campuses, I find the stymieing of free speech. This idea, this very primitive idea that we or this primitive notion of almost thought policing um, as being super unsavory because you have to protect, you have to, a society needs to be dedicated to protecting its bad elements as long as those elements aren't illegal, right? So like, you don't want to protect the person who is murdering someone, but you might want to protect someone who, uh, you might want to protect the rights of someone who is espousing really racist shit because you, you, that's why these protections exist is for their freedom to express those bad ideas as long yeah. as they don't play out. You don't have to agree with them. You and I don't agree with those ideas, but you give them oxygen and power when you try to limit them. I, I, I guarantee you that because of the, 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 the throwing around of the pejorative Nazism and, and, or as a pejorative Nazism and fascism and kind of giving these people screen time, Richard Spencer and all these guys, yeah. I guarantee you that they've gained adherence and not lost because they're gaining more and more oxygen because you're giving it to them by trying to stymie them. You're bringing attention to them. I said over and over again with Milo Yiannopoulos going to Berkeley earlier this year and then not being allowed to speak and everyone losing their minds. You just gained Milo Yiannopoulos a bunch of people that had no idea who he was. The thing that would have hurt him the most is going to a room that was empty, that no one was there to speak, but he has the right to go to that room and speak nonetheless. Well, what's interesting is what's kind of like silenced him is his own words. I mean, his own what fucked him up is his own conversations, his his ability to freely speak about pedophilia. Right. It, it, give him, it's, it goes back to the give the person enough rope and they'll do the job for you. You know, like you don't have to, you know, you don't have to do it. You don't have to force a square peg into a round hole. Well, know? I think in a lot of ways, Milo is a provocateur. And what he's trying to do is trying to push buttons and get attention and, and doing all those things. But in literally doing that and just ranting and raving, he tripped over his own dick. You know, the publishing company removes the book. Right. And I mean, that's it leaves Breitbart. I mean, this is essentially where all this came from. Yeah, there's no there, I think what people kind of conflate is there's room and necessity for consequences for yes. your actions. There, yes. There's no there's no one saying that there's no consequences. for But your these actions. consequences seem to be taking place in the marketplace of free ideas. Right. It, it, it's you can't. I feel like people have tried to force consequences on me, for instance, right? They tried to they tried to force a consequence that didn't work out the way that they wanted it to, but to try to make a point, right? To try to right. illustrate a point. But you have to let these things, like you said, the marketplace will correct for anything that is untoward. Kevin Spacey is going to be hurting for the rest of his life compared to where he was just five days ago yeah. because of the consequences of his actions, right? right? Exactly. So I'm not saying that there shouldn't be consequences. I don't think a lot of people are saying that at all. But I feel like it's almost, it's thought policing, like there are preemptive consequences. But these consequences should be like, hey, we don't want to do business with you because you and your values don't align with how we look at the world. Right. You, but you're free to do your own thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. And that's why I'm saying like you, you just... We're giving we're giving unsavory far right and far left elements way too much oxygen and way too much power in our society. They don't represent anyone. Like when you really, when you walk through your life, 
how many people do you know that ascribe to Marxism? How many people do you know that ascribe to white nationalism? I've never met in my own 33 years on this planet in interacting with a ton of different people. I'm not sure I've ever actually met a white nationalist. So why are we acting like this is a like a, a massive component of American polity when yeah. it's not? It's why, probably it's a ridiculous. few thousand people. It's ridiculous. Three hundred and fifty million that live here. Just lob off the ends of the spectrum, the far ends of the spectrum. Just lob them off. They're not yeah. welcome in polite society. They can do whatever they want. Everyone else, I bet, has 90% agreement on most issues. And I think that this intense, heated screaming and yelling at each other that you see like on Berkeley and Antifa showing up with fucking ninja masks on, throwing Molotov cocktails, this ain't helping anybody. No, Antifa this just ramps up the other side. Antifa, like, these guys are losers, right? Like, like how dare you? Like, they, 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 they serve... supported by the mayor of Berkeley. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of weird things are supported by the mayor of Berkeley. Uh, but like, the, yeah, it doesn't help any situations. They look like they're, they're like Cobra officers from GI Joe running around doing their thing, destroying private property. It doesn't make any sense. Like, why you would do this to your own society, to your own community? Like, it's what? What? Angst, what? It is know? angst. It's like, what point are you trying to prove? And and you're seeing this replicate itself a lot. I know it's an unpopular thing to say, but you can draw this a lot of this back to Ferguson, even. You know, yeah. like. Ferguson seen in, in some ways Ferguson is a, is a travesty of justice, right? But it seemed way worse than it actually was once everything came out once right. once Loretta Lynch not a very well-known racist refused to try the person at, a, at the federal level local and state authorities uh, Grand juries refused to try Darren Wilson for what he did uh, to the to the gentleman there or whatever and you and you get the full story And yet you still have this society or this community in ruins based on some hands up. Don't shoot never happened Right, right? Never happened. but literally never happened, but th this is the rallying cry. This is the this destroyed city is the rallying the problem cry for is it sounds good to people that want to believe a certain narrative and so they repeat it and then everybody's repeating it and then you have people doing it on television and then everybody decides that this is the thing that we're going to say over and over again regardless of whether or not it's true. The real travesty of that too is that you can literally throw a dart at a map of the United States and find a civil rights thing that's truly a civil rights infraction that's truly deplorable that probably deserves the oxygen and the attention yeah. and could be a, a legitimate rallying cry. But it goes back to the point you were making before, too. People don't want to admit they're wrong. No one wants to admit that like a year out from Ferguson, we're much further than that, but even six months out from when it happened, people look back, read through the grand jury stuff, the federal government's take on it, all that kind of stuff and realize, huh, maybe this wasn't the best idea. That to, to, to act like this when we didn't have all the information. Don't you think that the information is flowing freer and people have more of an understanding than ever before? I think you, people are, are really doubling down on the far right and the far left, and the extremism is sort of elevated in, the, in that regard. But I think overall, I think, I, you know, people don't like the word centrist, but the people in the center are the people that, that are more reasonable, are more informed, and more, there's more communication going on than ever before and in that sense i'm very hopeful i am hopeful too i i i like how centrism has become this dirty like unspoken it's word it's it's but that's only again from the far fringes that feel like they're losing because they right. are losing if your idea is predicated on uh race if like your idea of supremacy or superiority is predicated on that you're a moron right and yes. and no one does no one has to talk to you about that you, you don't deserve to be part of the the rational adult conversation it's a foolish notion if your idea on the left is that you have to stymie free speech that free speech is this antiquated thing I tweeted out a, a video uh, last week of, of a kid at the University of Utah saying that the I retweeted it oh thank you uh, of yeah. saying the the yeah like the I don't uh, think it's like a valid document yeah I don't think it's a valid yeah no there's nothing valid about the Bill of Rights you moron you know there's nothing like if your idea is is Marxism and this weird economic engineering and all this kind of stuff you are also a moron and and I'm not afraid to tell you that you know you have to have you have to be academically limited 
to look at either of those ideas on this on this on those spectrums and think that you have a good idea you know usually a collection of ideas not from the fringes but a collection of left right liberal conservative usually is probably what's right no one in the mainstream of american politics or mainstream of western politics has a monopoly on right or a monopoly on good ideas there are there are great things that republicans believe and there are great things that democrats believe there are terrible ideas on both sides the only thing i see on the extremes is just a complete dearth of good ideas it's just all bad ideas it's just all terrible ideas and so why are we even paying attention to them they can they can scream and shout all they want but we're giving them too much time on on uh you know the news we're giving them too much time even even i do it even i fall prey to that because it's fun it is watch that little fucker on tv saying that i don't think like the bill of rights is like a valid document yeah, that's very radical, man. <laughs> the reason, by the way, you're allowed to speak at all, right? I know he probably yeah. also thinks this is a fascist country. Yeah. I know I know that when the Nazis took over in, ni- in early 1933, the first thing they did was let everyone say whatever they want. So you can see <laughs> you can see the mirror images of the United States and fascist Germany. And I mean, it's everywhere if, if you listen to them. He's 18. You know, he's a little kid. Yeah, he has a lot of learning to do. Yeah. And I, I look back. Maybe and I, he'll look back one day at that video and go, oh, my God, I was fucking stupid. Yeah, I'm sure he does. Like his, he looks so pompous and proud of himself. The Dude, thank God nobody put a fucking camera on me when I was 18 yeah. and asked me how Absolutely. the world should work. Absolutely, I, I, we've all said and done stupid things. Yeah, and he's too young to maybe realize what's happening. But colleges are breeding this sort of thing, and I and it's I know that people say like it's it's overdrawn and it's not as bad as it is, and I'm like I think it is specifically because when I was at in college, I only graduated 10 years ago in May. This wasn't happening. Yeah, and what I went you're to a pre- in like Evergreen State. With yeah, Brett Weinstein. I never saw anything like this in my life, and yeah. I, I, I never saw, I never heard about this in other colleges in Boston. A pretty liberal place, you know. Yeah. So this is a newer phenomenon, and it's destructive. It's core. It's 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 corrosive, yeah. and it's da- very damaging to people's confidence in universities. And you know, like look what's happening to Evergreen State financially. That that, that college getting devastated. People are voting to d- defund it and. It's got. They've they have real issues with enrollment now. The uh, the guy Good. who's run, there was a real um, interesting article that I just read yesterday where the president was talking about what a, an impact it's taken on his health and his mental health, and he's unable to think correctly now, and he's un- unable to like the guy is like literally shell shocked. I mean, he he just his his decision making skills are very foggy. He's saying these. This is what happens when you let petulant, ignorant children think that they run up an establishment of higher learning when yeah. they're there to under when you go, when I entered college I went under the knowledge that I didn't know anything how do you turn this around though I I, I don't know like I, I really feel like it, it comes down in a lot of ways it comes down to the people that pay the bills in my opinion they're like the parents need to not be happy with the product they're getting when they find that their child is now an Antifa member when he went when he, when he comes back for Thanksgiving or for Christmas you have to ask yourself like what is happening yeah you know like it, this isn't because people point back to the 60s uh, when there was a very righteous wave of um of anti-authori- yeah, and anti-authoritarianism that was born in this in this 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 very specific climate you know and i think it's going to take a long time to fix i think a lot of it is because of a it's a very incestuous academia is very incestuous you hire people that agree with you you hire people that believe in you um that's why you find what is it like 19 out of 20 people that teach at, at, at universities are liberal yeah i'm sorry like that's insane yeah you know like that that's not right that like even if i if i were a liberal or a democrat i'd look at that and be like that's not that's like its own form of social engineering that we we've co-opted not only have we co-opted a lot of media which is why the media hates youtube and they hate all these things because they can't control that but now we've co-opted academia your ability to get a degree is going to have to go through these people that 
or you might be diametrically opposed to or at the very least lying to you yeah. about a lot of things and um just 10 years ago that was certainly not my experience so i fear for the, you know which is another reason why i'm like i don't know if college is the best solution for a lot of even able-minded people you know like where it's like i don't know what you get from going there now um if you if you study a discipline you probably get out okay again we were talking about chemistry physics math whatever right. but if you're studying humanity right I don't know, man. I don't. I don't know like what you're getting out of that now. And I studied humanity. I had a lot of liberal professors. I had a lot of conservative professors. I wonder what that mix is like now. And you get different history based on that. Yeah, I get kids uh, send me tweets all the time of uh, photos of something that their professor is uh, showing in class. Like someone just sent me something the other day. It was a photograph of a uh, overhead projection, and uh, it said something about science being a social construct. And he's like, this is the kind of shit I'm learning in school. Oh, I think I saw that. I think I did you you retweeted yes, you retweeted yes. that? Yeah, I saw that pop up on my feed. And everybody like, was like, what in the fuck is how is this guy a goddamn professor? Well, this is the whole thing with like, you know, even I mean, the way this is manifesting itself most is with transgender, you know, the transgender issue. Yes. Which I made a video about this where I'm like, I don't know that the science is really even important. If a person wants to say that they're a woman and they were born a man, I don't really care. Who cares? Yeah. It doesn't matter. I don't think you need to scientifically justify it, but I think the scientific justification for this whole gender normative kind of thing is actually going to backfire on them pretty badly because they've decided to make something that, you know, if you get a blood test, right, and they can study study it, you're going to come out as a male, right? Yes. Even if you identify something else, that doesn't mean you can't identify like that. But if you're going to predicate your whole notion on that, this is science, and it doesn't seem like that might be the case, then you're actually injuring the social movement of people just being accepted for who they are. And I feel like this is this is like where you start engineering science to, to fit your narrative. Yes. And I think it's a very, very dangerous thing. I, people people do the same thing with global warming. I, I'm a, I, I think global warming is obviously real. You know, um, I think the science says that. I think that it's probably maybe not as bad, but it's but it's bad. It's it's affecting things, making storms worse. Sea levels are rising. But people manipulate that to say, like, no, everything's fine. Just hand wave it away. But right. it's not true. Right. You know, and I feel like so I feel like we have to have, predicate everything on scientific truth when we can and then ha give leeway to say like I the example I used was uh, homosexuality where there was a theory for a long time that homosexuality wasn't something that was born in you that it was a choice now we know that that's not true that it's actually something that's in you but even if it was a choice who cares right. why predicate it on that if right. you believe in freedom right you know exactly exactly so with the transgender thing it's like I don't know that you're even attacking this from the right angle you should be attacking it from a social acceptance angle right um, which again goes back to the idea of like, I think that's actually the conservative stance, you know, but people would argue with me on that. Colin, we got to do this more often. Yeah. I really enjoyed I, this, man. Thank you. I did too. Thank you for having we me back. Like it's a great honor. Two hours and 20 minutes, man. Three hours and 20 minutes, right? Three hours and 20 minutes. Great. Well, I, I thank crazy. you. Thank you so much. It was a great honor for you to My ask me pleasure, back. I appreciate brother. it. Thank you so much, man. And uh, congratulations on the space. Thanks, buddy. Uh, tell people where they can watch your show. Oh, uh, youtube.com slash Colin's last stand. And I'm often on Twitter at no taxation. Bam. See you tomorrow, fuckers. Thanks, guys. Woo. Cool, that was fun. Yeah, Thank you.